Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina. Wednesday morning, September 13, 843-661-0937 is our number. Good morning, Josh. Good morning. Good morning, Rev. Good morning. Um, real quickly, um, mine and Rev's braids have had... <laughs> oh, you're back on the, the train, I well, see. I mean, your Gamecocks are having issues, but well, mine yeah. and your braids are, exactly. are spectacularly uh, finishing... <laughs> Why is it Trump's got everybody putting an L-Y at the end of words? Exactly. Yeah, Bill Maher was interviewing John Mellencamp, hey, and he said something about you know putting an L-Y. He said, good God, Trump's having an effect on me. You know, and, <laughs> and, and Mellencamp. Anyway, uh, it was not Mellencamp. It was John McEnroe. John yeah. McEnroe was talking about, you know, uh, anyway, Maher has the podcast, and he's paying a lot more attention to the podcast because of the writer's strike, and they're not able to do all the other wonderful things the media does. But um, but I want to say this. I said something yesterday, and we'll spend a couple of moments here on sports. I said something yesterday that the greatest Braves, the greatest season I've ever seen a Brave have was Maddox. The, I think it might have been the second Cy Young he won in Atlanta. Now, you know, someone argued yesterday, well, how could he say that when he only plays every fifth day? Fair enough. But he was real good every fifth day. I mean, he was really good every fifth day. Um. Acuna, Acuna Matata, mm-hmm. um, he he may be uh, cobbling together not just the best season a Brave has ever had, but you could argue, Rev, let, let's do this. Um, I mean, you admit you don't get in the weeds like I do on sports. That's and, true. And I wish I didn't. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, there, there's always been a, a really good hitter strives to get 200 hits and bat over 300. Acuna is going to get 200 hits. He's going to bat 330-ish. Um, so he is succeeded there. I mean, he's, he's exceeded expectations. Um, 200 hits. I mean, that, that, that would be Tony Gwynn. That would be Wade Boggs. I'm dating myself now because I don't keep up with the, the other players, the non-Braves players I don't know much about. But the really good base hitters of my day, I mean, 200 hits, you know, they, they, they year after year. I mean, I'm Wade Boggs and Tony Gwynn. I mean, how many consecutive seasons they have 200 hits? A lot. They were just really good hitters, but they didn't hit for power. They didn't drive in a bunch of runs. Uh, it was kind of like, but they got 200 hits every year because they're really good hitters. Um, Ocuna is going to get 200 hits. 40 home runs. I mean, that's kind of the threshold for being a power hitter. He's going to get 40 home runs. I think it is 37th last night, if I'm not mistaken. He's got, what, 16 or 18 games to hit three more? You got to believe he's going to get three more home runs. Let, let's, Chances let's, are. Well, let me just make an assumption here that he does. So he ends up with 40 home runs. That's kind of the threshold for being, you know, a power hitter having a good season. 100 RBIs. I mean, he's batting leadoff. Stop there. He's batting leadoff. <laughs> and he's going to have 100 point. RBIs. Um, stolen bases. Anything north of 50 is a really good season for a base-stealing threat. He's going to have 70 stolen bases um, or thereabout. I think he's got 65 or 6 or somewhere thereabout. What I'm saying is, um, is he a good hitter for average? Check. He's, he's going to have 200 hits. Um, is he a, has he had a good hitter for power? But but, he's a, but he's, a, he's a base hitter. He's a high average hitter. He's hitting 330. doesn't hit a home run. Yeah, he does. It's 40. But surely guys that hit 40 home runs don't steal a bunch of bases. I mean, that's only happened once or twice in Major League Baseball history. The guy we refer to as the only honest broker in all of baseball during the steroids uh, scandal or steroid era would have been Jose Canseco. Um, he's going to get 40 
home runs. And, I mean, Canseco was 40-40. This cat may be 40-70 with a 3.30 average, 200 hits, 100 RBIs. That's just, I mean, you know, when you really put together the best baseball season I've ever seen, I mean, Bonds hitting 70-whatever home runs, and, and you, you kind of understand now he may have had some um, unnatural assistance uh, during that process. Somebody said, you think Bonds took the juice? I said, his, his head got bigger. I mean, <laughs> not only did <laughs> he, he did. turn into a um, kind of a scrawny left fielder turns into an NFL linebacker, I mean, his head got bigger. He went from a 7 and 8 to 7 and 5 eighths hat size. Of course, the cat was taking steroids, and we know that to be true now during during the steroid era. But, um, but I mean, what you're seeing as a Braves fan is special. I mean, it's, it's special. Um, it's fun to watch. Well, I know and, that. And, and, and I go back to what, I mean, he's, he's a bit, you and I agreed last year, he was a bit of a head case, and you wondered whether he could get himself kind of focused on, there was no doubt he had talent. I mean, nobody denied that. I mean, I told you, I think the word I used with, with you one day when we saw him play a couple of days as a rookie, I said, he's got electric talent. Mm-hmm. I mean, the ball just flies off of his bat. He does things in the field. He, um, I mean, his, his speed, I mean, he just does everything, uh, you know, exceptional in, in the, uh, in the baseball world. And, you know, uh, Chipper Jones was a really, really, really a hall of fame baseball player. I mean, all the players aspire to be in the hall of fame one day. Chipper's a hall of famer. I mean, that speaks for itself, but this cat's got more talent than Chipper. Whoa. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it, by far. Whoa. By far. Well, I mean, give me a season chipper had like this uh, one. You I mean, can't. Yeah, by the numbers, you can't. You can't. I mean, I'm being honest. I don't know that you can tell me another baseball player. I mean, think of the Reb. Average, 200 hits. Got it. Power, 40 home runs. Got it. Um, RBI, 100 RBIs. Got it. Two, uh, excuse me. Um, surely the guy didn't steal any spaces. I mean, nobody steals bases anymore. Well, he stole 70. Mm-hmm. And he's not hitting 300, he's hitting 330. I mean, that, it's just it's phenomenal what he's done this year. And I think the most phenomenal stat is 100 RBIs as a leadoff hitter. 100 RBIs. He's special. As a lead, uh, he is, yeah, th- th- there's no doubt about it. Now, uh, I want to go back to my theory. You ready? Um, Bad Boy has this theory on college football. You know, what we need to do to straighten out college football, expand the playoffs, and hear who gets in and who's not getting in. Baseball's got to address, in fairness, people people are, fairness is relatable in every walk of life. You know, Rev Rev um, Rev does something to me. I do something to Josh. It's not fair. Uh, it, 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 I know it's arbitrary and it's not exact, but it's a little bit like uh, pornography. You know, you can't really define it, but you know it when you see it. I think a Supreme Court justice famously, famously said that. So fairness is something that, you know, we, we kind of all get our arms around. If the Braves win um, 50% of their games and end up with a 15 or 16-game margin over the Phillies and they play the Phillies in the playoff, it should be one to nothing, Or they should begin every game with the Braves up one nothing, Or maybe even 2 nothing. I'm coming around to your line of thinking. But it's just that. unfair. I, I mean, it's just, yeah. and, and, and if baseball weren't such a finicky sport, and such a, you know, a bloop here and a bloop because, there. Because what I'm seeing is you end up in a division series and all of a sudden the Phillies, like last year, could win that series and you're done. Very easily win that series. I mean, you know that. Yeah. You believe the Braves are better than the Phillies. I think the Braves have demonstrated in 162 game season, they're better than the Phillies. But when they start that seven game series, 
Well, I mean, but if they start that seven-game series with the Phillies or anybody, I mean, if they play the Dodgers, they don't deserve to be up 1-0. I mean, the Dodgers are going to win close to 100 games. So if it ends up being the Braves and Dodgers, I mean, you got the two best teams in the National League. I mean, they've clearly shown they're the two best teams in the NL. But if the Braves end up in a series with the Phillies or somebody else who's, you know, 8, 10, 12 games over 500, there's some, there should be some benefit to having such a good regular season. And once again, I think football and basketball is different. You don't have a 162-game season to find out who the best uh, is. Now, I understand the the other side. Well, they don't have to play in a wild-card series. You know, they don't have to play a play-in game. They don't. They get to host. They get a better, you know, chance to win at home. I still think the the performance of winning over the long run is disproportionately rewarded as a result of the new playoff format. And I'm not saying I'm for the old days when the National League winner played the American League winner. You know, that, that you didn't have a playoff. It didn't, I mean, I understand television and ratings and revenue and advertising dollars and you know, concession sales and stadiums. I mean, the more games you have, the more revenue you're able to generate. I mean, I'm not oblivious to that. I certainly understand that the baseball purist lost to profitability. How do we make more money? But the purist said, screw the purist. I mean, nobody makes money on the purist model. Let, let's go to this profitable model that has, you know, all of these teams and all of these franchises hanging on, believing they've got a chance to make the playoffs. I mean, that leads to, to more beer sales and more hotel rooms and more, uh, you know, I mean, I get that. I understand that. But I still believe that it's unfair for the Braves. And I guess I'm being a Braves homer here. It's unfair for the Braves to beat the Phillies by 15 games in a regular season and then start 0-0. And let's say, you know, just want the Braves pitcher doesn't have it that night, the opening game, or the Phillies pitcher does. I mean, then all of a sudden, you're behind the eight ball against a team that you won uh, over the long haul by a substantial, substantial um, margin. 843-661-0937. Let's go to the phone. Bobby in Hartsville. Good morning, Bobby. Good morning, Ken. What about our Atlanta Braves? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I even said now, if they play the Dodgers, they shouldn't have. I mean, the Dodgers have proven themselves to be at least, or, or they're, they're in the same neighborhood as the Braves without question. Well, you do remember I kind of jumped jumped trains when they when the Dodgers became so woke, right? So I, d- I, I do. Am on the, okay. Well, you know I, I might be a little bit there at the Dodgers, but I, I'm on that Atlanta train. But I tell you this, my son, I mean he's always been an Atlanta Braves fan, but he is really really quiet. He's not bragging. He's not talking trash to me uh, because I think there's. Or I don't know if you guys feel this way or not. Is there still that sense, or have you got past? Uh, this thing where the, the Braves are doing great, but they're going to blow it. They're going to blow it. They're going to blow it. Yes. <laughs> when they, when they, yeah, when they, when they had games like they had last night, I mean, they were up 6-1 to one going into the 8th, I think, and uh, tied it up, went into extra innings. They ended up uh, winning the game last night. But those moments are the ones you think, uh, and especially against the Phillies, you're going, <laughs> this, this. Well, this could be what is to come. Right, I mean, this and, and be don't, the get, don't get overconfident and don't get braggy, as you said. Yeah, well, I'm telling you, I, I'm kind of proud of them. But, and I probably wouldn't like them as much if my son didn't like them, but uh, they've done really, really good this year. So, Thank you, Bobby. It's, it's you been appreciate fun that. to watch. I mean, as a fan who's been a fan through the not-as-good years and the great years, uh, it has really been extra fun this year. There's no but, doubt about but, it. But I think what Bobby is talking about is the same thing I'm referring to, and that is this – the inevitable playoffs are to come. Right. I mean, you know that, and you know as well as I do, if you followed baseball any at all, you know how temperamental it is. 
And you can't win every game. No, and you're not going to win every game. I mean, the best team in baseball, the Braves are the best team in baseball. They're losing about 35% of their games. I mean, the best team in Major League Baseball loses 35% of their game. If a college football coach loses 35% of his games, he'd normally be looking for another job. If a, if a college basketball coach is losing 35% of its game, um, I mean, you, you can't. Baseball's just different. The worst team in baseball is going to win 30% of its games. The best team in baseball is going to lose 35% of its games. And that that's the finish. I guess it's the beauty of baseball. You know, it's just the difference in baseball and all these, these other games. Um, and I do believe there is a team or two um, that you believe you – I mean, the Phillies would be the example. I mean, the Phillies are a team that the Braves know. Braves fans know that if they get in a playoff series with the Phillies, anything could happen. And you feel like you've gained over the long haul in the regular season, you shouldn't be as nervous as you are. You know, you, you play in the, if you play the Dodgers, you know, hey, you better bring your A game. Uh, but the Dodgers are good, big salary, big market, a lot of money to spend on good players, a, a good franchise. I mean, they've always run a good franchise in Los Angeles. Um, and when the Braves and Dodgers go at it, I mean, that, if you're a baseball fan, that's must-see TV. I mean, I, I would imagine, Rev, there are a lot of baseball purists out there who could care less about the Dodgers or Braves, but they probably tune in just because they, you know, respect the way those two franchises uh, run their team. So, um, anyway, I just think it's interesting that the Braves are a bit, here we go toward the regular season. You've had a player who has had one of the great seasons in the history of Major League Baseball. You kind of ran away with the division, but but you know there's the inevitable playoffs to come. And you know as a Braves fan, nothing matters except looking ahead. Nothing matters about, I mean, I understand home field advantage and you don't have to play the wild. I get all that. And there's advantages there. I just don't think the advantages are what they should be. I, I, I just think when you, yeah. when you lap the Phillies in the regular season and you begin a playoff series and you draw the Phillies, let's say the Phillies get the wild card, they win the wild card. They come to Atlanta. They play game one in Atlanta. That's the only advantage the Braves have, that they're playing game one in Atlanta. And I think the Braves, having beat the Phillies by 15 games in the regular season, um, deserve a uh, a more substantial advantage. I will say this about um, and once again, I, we need to try to get Jason Priester to call in on Friday. We did that last year. I feel like I'm sliding our Clemson friends again. I listened to some of Beamer's presser yesterday, um, talking about what what is, what was, what is to be. Um, but he basically said. You know, we're going to we're going to one of the most unfriendly stadiums in America. And the reason it's unfriendly, I mean, it ain't the guy, it ain't the drunk guy eating peanuts in, you know, section five, row thirty-seven. I mean, he can be obnoxious, but our problem is on the field. <laughs> you know, our problem is Georgia has really, really good football players. They built, um, dare I say, a dynasty back to back national championships. The odds makers have them as the front runner to win a third consecutive um national championship. They have probably replaced Alabama as the premier program in all of college football. So they were talking about the hostile environment of Sanford Stadium between the hedges. And Shane said, yeah, but that's, that's going to be difficult. You know, going to Sanford Stadium is always difficult. But once again, our problem's not the crowd. Our problem is the, you know, the five-star after five-star after five-star that Georgia will have on the uh, on the field. And, and I, I just don't think I'm giving Clemson uh, their due. Because I don't know enough about them. I, I just don't. I mean, I, you know, I know enough to know that Clemson is 
not quite as good as they were during that run. I'm not saying it's the end of the run. I'm not saying Clemson's in decline. It just looks to me that at you know the middle to end of last year and the beginning of this year, they're just not they're not Georgia. You know, um, Alabama and Clemson, Alabama and then Clemson for the majority of what the the Trevor Lawrence Deshaun Watson era. I mean, they didn't have to take a backseat to anybody. I mean, Bama won more championships, but Clemson was the you know one of the two headed monster running college football. That doesn't seem to be the case today. I mean, I think the jury's out as to has Florida State caught Clemson. Guess what? We'll get to find that out um, noon, and I'm looking forward to that as a college football fan. Uh, you know, especially when my Gamecocks are playing that night, we'll have time to watch. You know, the the affairs in Death Valley in real time. But um, but I just don't feel like I can give Clemson a fair shake because I don't keep up with that program as much as I do the Gamecocks. And remember, a couple of Friday last year, I think on Friday after. After nine, yep. we had uh, Priester and somebody from um, Gamecock Central call in and kind of update us on uh, what's happening with the two programs. Beamer's got a decision to make. And, and his decision, I mean, I can say this, Shane's got to decide whether he's going to play the kids who are better than his experienced players. I mean, coaches tend to be nervous about playing really young players. I get it. I understand it. But he's in a situation now where his really younger players are better than his experienced players. Now, with the really young players, you're going to get really dumb things. You're going to get some mistakes and blown assignments. But but I, I just think that's where he'll be. Um, you know, I don't know if this weekend matters. I don't know if there's enough inexperienced good players or experienced not-so-good players to, to challenge Georgia in, a, in Athens. Just go there and do the best you can. But I think coming back home to Mississippi State in the second toss-up game of the year He's got to decide, you know, are we going to stick with these experienced but somewhat average players or these inexperienced a little better than average um, players? 843-661-0937. We've got an impeachment inquiry, but we've got some interesting information that kind of precedes what McCarthy did yesterday. And I want to follow up on the conversation we had yesterday. I don't know how many texts I got. So, so you don't believe this. You do believe this. The people listening to your show believe that. The people listening to your show don't believe this. Um, I think caller of the day yesterday was Anthony. I thought Anthony gave me an F minus. You said he gave me an F plus. plus. Okay. But it was an F nonetheless. Right. I ain't got an F since French in my (laughs) sophomore year. It was a a fail. Yeah. At Vamplico High School. Uh, 843-661-0937. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937 is our number. Let's go back to the conversation yesterday because I want to establish um, it's kind of a wrap-up. It's not a pop quiz at all, but I want to make sure I understood um, kind of the content of the majority of conversation uh, we had yesterday. Yesterday was one of the most interesting, different shows we've done in a long time. Um, I learned a lot yesterday from a caller and, you know, hacking into computers and how some of the more... Um, uh, some of the more established companies that I would imagine have enormous amounts of revenue um, and depend on security on the internet being a big part of their business. Amazon. I mean, if, if well, you think go about, on, think about banks. Yeah, sure. Sure. I mean, that, that would be, yeah, but there, there's no doubt about it. But, but this, this caller called in and I think they said they've been hacking since, since they rolled out of the crib. <laughs> um, and you know, they were talking about 
the companies that that depend or you depend on them being secure. Uh, in other words, if Josh orders something online and gives us financial information, I mean, you want to trust that that company's invested in some way, shape, or form in a security, um, I guess, apparatus that his financial information can't be made available to someone trying to hack in to the computer and, you know, order whatever, order whatever and run up. Anyway, uh, fraudulent charges and whatnot. And he said, I, I don't want to quote Rev, you help me here. He said he's convinced that the the companies that design and build and maintain and operate these uh, voting machines have not made that investment. I mean, he was talking about some of the companies. I think he called Google by name and said that Google has invested heavily in what they call headhunters, um, hacking headhunters. What is that? Google will, will, will find some whiz kid that is broken into the Pentagon's. You know, it's a little bit like the movie Catch Me If You Can. Remember the guy that um, eventually went to work for the FBI because he was kind of, uh, you know, who better to find a crook than a crook? Mm-hmm. And um, that was kind of the theory behind that. But anyway, he said that um, some of these companies have heavily invested in um, kind of um, just just hackers and and can you penetrate my system? And if, if so, how? And if you penetrate, you get paid, and then they you, you tell them how you got in and where your weak links are and and how to k- kind of you know fix that so it doesn't happen again. And, and he says he doesn't believe the voting machine manufacturers are investing in that sort of, um, I, I don't know, in making that sort of investment and in, in disallowing someone. And I have no idea. I mean, I, I would imagine that there are staffs at Amazon doing nothing every day but trying to keep a more secure way for you to buy whatever it is you buy from Amazon. I mean, I, I got to believe that. But I never imagined that they would hire some of these headhunters to, in other words, I'll give you a 1000 bucks if you can get into my system. I'll give you 10000 if you can get into my system. That person uh, who sits in the dark of night in the basement, uh, you know, with the pajamas on, and they uh, log in. I don't know how they do that. I mean, I don't have a clue. It's, uh, it's all foreign to me, but, but it happens. So, so I learned a lot about that, and I'd love to get somebody from the voting machine manufacturing world to come on the show and explain what they do. Do, do they hire these headhunters, and are these headhunters always trying to get in the voting system, and can you change votes? I mean, can, can you change a vote from, you know, Josh to Ken or Ken to Dave? I, I don't know, but that's something that I'm extremely curious about. But the majority of, of content yesterday was about what the government will or will not do. And I want to make sure I understand this clearly. There are a few of you out there who believe the government conspired and and had a hand in what happened on 9-11-2001. I mean, I heard that, that, that some of you believe the government helped stage, helped organize, um, allowed certain things to happen that led to the eventual death of 3,000 Americans in a building, uh, a plane crashing in Shankville, Pennsylvania, claimed a plane crashing at the Pentagon, uh, an eventual war that raged on for 20 years, um, several trillion dollars of American taxpayer dollars, thousands of lives forever changed uh, by death or um, severe injury. Some of you out there believe that the government was working hand-in-hand with the forces that wanted that to happen. I think that's a few of you. I don't think that's many of you. Some of you out there believe that 
government agencies that things fell through the cracks. We've got all these government agencies. The government agencies wasn't they weren't coordinated enough. The left hand didn't know what the right hand was doing. Right didn't know what the left was doing. Oh, we thought you had that. We we thought you had checked on that. Hey, we got a report of some Middle Easterners at a flight school in Florida interested in flying a plane, not interested at all in how to land or take off. That's a little bit interesting. That's a little bit curious. Let's send somebody down there to see what's up with that. So some of you believe that the CIA thought the FBI went, the FBI thought the CIA went, and nobody went. And the next thing you know, you've got, you know, Middle Easterners flying planes, a bit fanatical Islam, flying planes uh, into buildings, and innocent people die. Some of you believe that it may not, that that was intentional. Well, you got stages of severity here. You got some of you out there who believe, Josh, I guess, I guess the most extreme would be the holographic airplane. Right. You know, it was not really an airplane. It was rather a bomb detonated and the building imploded. And, you know, these people died and it was to, you know, create uh, animus toward a part of the world. And we could, you know, Raytheon and all these companies could make huge profits because we would be unbelievably motivated to seek revenge and go to that part of the world. But the second stage is, uh, I mean, that's out there. I mean, to me, that's way out there. I guess the second stage of this, I don't want to call it disease, but this, the second stage of this condition would be, I don't believe that, but I think the government knew. I think the government had a hand in it. I think there were certain people at the government less than principled who allowed this to happen. And then there's another stage that and I think this is where we, we kind of ended up. This, this would be a legitimate debate. I mean, this is... I'm willing to debate this. I'm not willing to debate holographic airplanes and, you know, bombs detonated, imploding bill. I'm not willing to go there. I mean, I understand that you are, and you have a right to, you have every right to say whatever you choose um, to say and believe I'm not with you on that. You could convince me that there were certain rogue individuals in the federal government who willingly didn't do their job. Right. I mean, I could get there. I'm not there, but I could be convinced of that. I feel like there may have been, and and, and to what end would be my question. I mean, to is there. the word ten, intentional or unintentional? I mean, is that the kind of the key word to you? Yeah, it, it is. But see, I would say because I would fall in the camp that believes that it was just incompetence within the government agencies, and probably, and this is just my speculation, some sort of competitive turf wars, the CIA versus the FBI. Well, I'm not going to tell him this because he'll get credit for finding that. I'm going to do this. And then in the meantime, the the plan succeeds as far as the bad guys. And so I I think there may be certainly incompetence and probably some, some governmental, um, uh, conflict between different agencies. But you don't believe that, okay, let's take the, the, the Middle Easterners in Florida at a flight school interested in how to fly a plane, but not interested in how to take off or land. You don't believe that the flight instructor calls the FBI. The FBI calls the CIA and says, hey, we got this report, but let's not check in on it. I mean, see, I just don't buy that. I mean, I I don't. For the life of me, I don't buy that. Do I believe there are rogue elements within our government? Of course I do. Absolutely I do. I mean, I don't think there's any question. There are bad actors in our government. I mean, there's malice and, and nefarious activity in our, and there's no doubt about it. I mean, if you want to read about it, somebody sent me a text yesterday, and I knew this. I mean, there's a belief that the colonists, prior to the Revolutionary War, uh, provided Indians, it'd been North American colonists prior to the U.S., provided Indians with blankets as a gesture of goodwill 
that were infected with smallpox. And then again to the early 1800s. I mean, there's a there's actually a winner in Indian lore called the smallpox winner. And a lot of people believe that the American government, forget the North American colonists, this would have been post post revolutionary war, provided the Indians once again in a gesture of goodwill. The winter's coming. We want you to be warm. Here are these blankets. We're going to provide these blankets that were infected with smallpox. I mean, do you believe the American government? could do that i mean smallpox was fatal i mean it was horrific i mean someone who got smallpox it was an horrific disease that eventually ended in death very often so so you know i mean it, it this has been a i don't want to say a long-standing tradition i'm certainly not saying that but but the government's always had you know activities or actors involved that didn't do the right thing now, now once again i'm saying speculatively no, nobody's nobody's proven beyond a shadow of a doubt that the North American colonists did that to the Indians. Nobody's proven beyond a shadow of a doubt that post-Revolutionary War in the, uh, that would have been in the early 1800s prior to the Civil War, nobody's saying that the government as a gesture of goodwill infected blank, but that's always been, I mean, there's a pervasive, there's a rumor out there that the government did that. Um, do you believe your government could do that? I mean, you weren't alive in the early 1800s. Mm-hmm. I wasn't alive in the early 1800s. Josh certainly was not alive in the early 1800s. I mean, do you believe the government would? There's a good question. Do you believe our government, as a gesture of goodwill, would give blankets to Indians, malcontents, infected with smallpox, knowing what the eventual results would be? I mean, do you believe that? Do you believe your government would do that? I could believe that. Okay, Josh? It's possible. Okay. that's to me, that's the right answer. You know, I don't know. Uh, I've never read a lot about it, but, but someone sent me a text yesterday saying, so you don't believe the government would do this when when they did that. I don't know that they did that. There's been a historical analysis. I mean, there's never been much reporting on it uh, because there's not a lot of media coverage about, you know, did the American government do that or not? I mean, you can Google it. Google, uh, let's think here. Google American government gives blankets to Indians infected with smallpox. I mean, there's some historical accountings. There's some historical analysis. Did they or didn't they? Um, it's just, it's, it's, it, but it really goes back to, so you don't believe the government would intentionally conspire to do, but you believe the government would give blankets to innocent people infected with smallpox, knowing what the eventual result would be or the outcome would be. Let's go to the phone. Larry in the PD. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I'm going to try not to spend too much time on your blanket theory, but I know for a fact, because I remember when this first entered into the American psyche, and there was a college professor that was really well known for being anti-American early on. He was like the first example of a tenured professor just being a nut job and the college not being able to do anything about it. He wrote that speculation in a book, and then he wrote a scholarly article and cited his own book as the proof <laughs> that that happened. And that is where that American lore came from, because I, and I think the best person to ask is an epidemiologist, and they'll tell you smallpox can't just live on a blanket. It's not transferred that way. It's preposterous on its face. But this guy takes advantage of what you're talking about, which is we have enough distrust that we, if we don't know all of those facts, we go, well, they, maybe they could do it. And going back to what you were talking about with the um, 
the voting machines and things, there's a couple of ways to look at some of these conspiracy theories. And I think I like to just take the flip side of the coin. And I heard a comedian say this one time, and he's right. He's like, okay, there's all these conspiracy theories, but you want to tell me you don't believe any of them? You think the government is just out there batting a thousand for you all day long. There's not a single person in the government with a motive that isn't, let's do what's best for America. That is what's crazy, right? That's the way out there statement that never, not ever, never? No, I don't believe that. And here's the problem with the headhunters and the, and the viruses and the going in the back door and all that stuff. So Amazon says, I'll pay you $10,000 if you can get in my system, and, I, and they give you the keys to the kingdom, right? And as a hacker, that is unprecedented access. So you find a weakness, and you think, hmm, I can turn this into Amazon and make $10,000, or I can turn this into a guy in Mumbai and make a million. They report back to Amazon, oh, you're safe, everything's fine, have a nice day. <laughs> and they take that information and they go sell it to the highest bidder. And it's the same thing with these voting systems. There's way too much at stake for that voting company to have enough money to pay somebody enough to generate honesty after they give them unfettered access to the voting system. There's too many countries in the world that will pay billions for that kind of influence, right? So what you're supposed to do is have this completely transparent system where you have all these audits and you show every vote and, and when you're asked you can provide all the data that supports that your system's safe. Have we seen that out of the voting companies? No. They've stonewalled, they've decided no, we're not responding, we're not giving you any information, you don't get to know. That's why we don't trust these people. Well said. Thank you, Larry. Appreciate the call. Eight four three Six six one zero nine three seven. our number. We're behind a bit. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes. You know, I've referred to my father many times on this show and some of the business lessons I learned from my dad. One of the lessons I learned from my dad, my dad always said, I'm not opposed to the fix if I'm in on it. <laughs> I'm, I'm right. vehemently opposed to the fix if I'm left out of, of the fix. And I guess in the, in the world of commerce and, and uh, you know, um, the economy, monopolies we talked a lot about on, on this show about some of the um i mean walmart would be a um you know a company we talk a lot about its dominance in certain sectors of retail amazon would be a rival and competitor now is it good for the consumer but you know i argue the most powerful company on the planet is google they control a lot of how we gather information we had a story in the first hour we went to google to find out what it said about it its dominance of the internet um has, you know, uh, in, 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 in some way, shape, or form, created somewhat of a monopoly. Fox News Radio's Edmund Brown is here this morning from Miami to try and explain in a way we can understand this Google versus the U.S. is, I think, the biggest antitrust trial we've had in many, 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 many years. Eben, good morning. How are you, sir? I'm well. Good morning. Am I giving a proper accounting, this, this Google versus U.S. antitrust trial is the U.S. government's belief that Google has done things to basically lock out competitors and disallow innovation? Uh, that, yes, it's, I would call it U.S. versus Google because it's the U.S. taking, uh, you know, taking the case here, you know, bringing the case. 
Uh, but, uh, yeah, essentially you have this correct. What the U.S. government via the Justice Department is alleging is that Google used its its position as a very uh, widely known and well-used search engine. Google now does many things, but its original business was the search engine, and it continues to be its biggest business. Uh, but it used that position to try to crowd out the, the competition. So, for instance, um, you, you know, searching the Internet is, I mean, we call it Googling, right? I mean, it's, it's that's just how... We, I mean, that that's nothing new. It's that that we've been doing this for twenty something years, probably now, if not longer. Uh, but uh, with the with Google's power, they have arranged for through various uh, deals making and whatnot, and some that the uh, the U.S. government alleges part of the illegal activity is that uh, they have uh, deals with uh, Apple, for instance, and Mozilla to make Google the default search engine in those web browsers and how many people know they can actually change their default search engine if they want a different one not many people do or if they do they may not know how to actually go about doing that so it forces people according to the u.s government to be using google no matter what uh and then of course there's google chrome uh which uh is now the world's most popular browser and that's kind of therefore it, it all of a sudden you know, it, it puts Google into everyone's lives uh, no matter what. Uh, you know, if you're going to conduct a web search on Google Chrome, most likely you're going to be using Google's uh, Google's web search, their website. Um, uh, and through this, they have been able to uh, uh, really box in the competition. Nine, t- nine out of ten Internet searches are done with Google, according to uh, the U.S. government, uh, whose names other sources. Uh, but uh, the um, uh, their their, uh, their presence, if you will, their power, if you will, uh, it has uh, essentially crowded out abilities for for competitors like Microsoft Bing, for instance, which is a big one, but also smaller ones that are more niche type uh, searching uh, tools, things like um, things like Yelp. Or Grubhub, uh, or, or or whatnot, uh, you know, th- uh, things that allow you to find certain businesses, uh, or or travel, or whatnot. Expedia is one of them. Um, all of that, uh, all, you, Google has sort of pushed its way into those spaces as well. Uh, and according to the U.S. government, this is monopolistic uh, in its in uh, in its core, and so therefore they want to see. Uh, Google stopped, and maybe there's some kind of limit that can be placed on them. I don't see this as a case where uh, they would be broken up as a company, but uh, but perhaps limits uh, and and restitution paid in some way. That's very well explained, Evan. Thank you for your time, sir. And have a great day. You too. Take care. That, that's. I want to go there for a second because I want to kind of segue into this. We're talking about we don't trust government, um, and a lot of the reason we don't trust government. I can't speak for you. A lot of the reason I don't trust government, it, it's interesting that government and Google are on different sides of a lawsuit. I mean, this lawsuit goes back to January 2020. Now, I, I've told you, when I first started doing this 12 years ago, I would Google something about politics, and it would be 60-40, you know, k- kind of a liberal version. And now it's 95-5 liberal version. In other words, if I Google, does Donald Trump have a chance to, to, uh, to be president, it would be the fifth or sixth page before I'd see positive information 
that yes, Donald Trump has a very legitimate chance to be to be president. Um, is Trump? Excuse me. Is Biden going to be impeached? I mean, I'd have to plunder through eleven or twelve or thirteen pages. In other words, the first listings would be the New York Times, NPR, CBS News, Huffington Post, Salon.com. It would basically be you moron, you. What are you looking for this? I mean, don't you know? And and I have no idea about algorithms and content moderators and who decides what gets president. I mean, you know, you see some of these sponsored, you know, that that's you know they're paying to be at the top of the page, advertising they're paying to be at the top of the page. But but Google is a dominant force. I mean, I argue it's the most powerful company on the planet. Here's my question to small government conservatives. You ready? Should Google be broken up? Should Walmart be broken up? Should Amazon be broken up? Should U.S. Airways be broken up? I mean, if we're talking about our hippie moment, I mean, we're the counterculturalist. Walmart sells 30% of all groceries sold in America today. Is that good for the American economy? It's damn good for Walmart. And, and, and you know, the, the other side, I had this debate with a lawyer friend of mine about Walmart. And I asked a question, should Walmart be broken up? He said, yes, absolutely Walmart should be broken up. I mean, we believe in winners and losers. We believe in one company doing it better than the other. They get rewarded at, um, you know, the uh, in the marketplace. The other gets penalized for just not being as good at it. But, but have we built an economy where big business curries favor with the government to basically pull up the ladder, is the way I try to explain it, and, and force competition out? Is that good for the consumer? Now, now the other side is, if Josh went to grocery store A today to kind of stock his cupboard, he may spend $100. He could go to Walmart and spend $75. I mean, there, there's the flip side of that. But, but are we, as freedom-loving, anti-government conservatives, are we willing to say, break up Walmart, break up Google, break up some of these, so, some of these companies that, I mean, consolidation has led to a lot of this. And, um, and I think consolidation is bad for the consumer. I mean, instead of having 13 airlines competing with one another, we've got mergers and acquisitions, and now we've got two airlines controlling about 90% of all air traffic or air travel in America today. Um, who other than Walmart and Target really matter in the world of retail? Target, Walmart, Amazon. I mean, to wonder what percentage of retail sales are run through those three companies. I mean, ta- Walmart's light years ahead of Target, but Target's still a player. But, but Amazon and Walmart, I mean, you can really boil it down to two. I mean, Amazon and Walmart, they dominate retail. How much, I mean, is that good for the consumer? Is it good for the economy? J.D. Vance said, what do we do when we get control of the levers of power? So, so that's the question I'm asking. Uh, as a limited government conservative, would you be in favor of breaking up Google, a government-forced deconsolidation, uh, of, of Walmart, Google, some of these companies that have. Here's the problem with Walmart. I'll pick on Walmart for a second. I mean, the profits are enormous. I mean, the, the heirs of Sam Walton are some of the richest people on the planet. About four of every 10 people who work at Walmart get some sort of government benefit. So, so, so Walmart has built a machine that operates on, a, you know, by s- small margins, but j- just an enormous amount of consumers. But they also have about 40% of their employees getting some sort of government benefit. I mean, they, they help the government build the model. I mean, Walmart lobbies extensively in Washington and state houses around, around America. They, I mean, it's not capitalism. 
I mean, Walmart has excelled, no question about it, in capitalism. But Walmart has tried at every turn to distort capitalism. So as an American, are you comfortable with Walmart amassing unbelievable profit while 40% of its employees are being funded in some way, shape, or form by taxpayer dollars and receiving some government benefit? Because that's kind of where we are. That's not kind of where we are. Um, We don't know if the Indians, if the the American government smallpox in a blanket on purpose for the Indians, we do know that Walmart makes enormous profit and they that they, they garner enormous government benefit. Let's go to the phone. Here's Breeze. Good morning, Breeze. You're on. Um, the Democrat Party and the government the same thing. The government and the Democrat Party is the same thing. Google is part of that whole thing. And no, you're right, Gene. You're not talking about capitalism. What's going on with Walmart, these huge financial institutions, these huge banks, these huge healthcare things, none of that is capitalism. So we're not breaking up capitalism. We're trying to probably restore capitalism in some way, but we're trying to do it with the most evil players there are, the government and these huge and these huge corporations. They're all horribly evil. But I'll tell you this, kid, if you die tomorrow from smallpox and Tammy gave you your blanket, I don't know if I would sleep with it, even though I did read the same thing about the um, smallpox not living on a blanket. But, hell, the government didn't need to give the Indians blankets. They were killing them just fine without blankets. So I mean I don't think I don't think there's any group of people that has bigger complaints or bigger reason to distrust the federal government than the American Indian. <laughs> I mean Jesus Christ. And then of course you know the government did do the Tuskegee experiment where they gave African Americans uh, syphilis. That was a real uh, real trusting moment where black black uh, black folks in America to trust their government. You wonder why black folks and Indians don't trust their government. Well, that, they give you a lot of good reasons. And I don't trust the government. I don't know uh, how much involvement the government had in, in uh, 9-11. I know they're hiding stuff from us. But I'll tell you this, I wouldn't be surprised. Would you be surprised at anything you hear about the government? They, Larry's right about this. They brought this on themselves. Why do we distrust these banks? They brought it on themselves. Why do we just, I mean, would you give your six-month-old kid a vaccine? No. Why wouldn't you? Because you don't trust them. Why don't you trust them? Because they give you a lot of damn good reasons not to trust them. You know what I mean? I mean, you know, at some point, people have got to earn your trust. And show me where any of these big corporations, show me where the government, show me where the Congress, show me where big pharmaceutical, show me where any of these people have given us one reason to think that they're the good guys out there. Thank you, Breeze. Appreciate it. Uh, Josh brought up a few moments ago, I mean, to me, the, the, the fundamental premise of what we're talking about is when, when, when Josh, Josh walk through what you stuck your head in the door and said a second ago, we were talking about blankets and smallpox saying rev Google to story. There were Google again. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, that th- there's a, I mean, th- there's a conversation out there about whether or not the government did this. Um, and then you stuck your head at the door and said, well, I mean, you know, that I've read about, I don't want to put words in your mouth. Tell me what you've read about something Breeze just touched on. Yeah. So Breeze was talking about, uh, he called it the Tuskegee experiment where supposedly the United States government was, uh, giving black men syphilis in, I like around the forties, fifties and sixties. I'm not exactly sure. And like, I've heard conspiracies that, the government was intentionally putting crack into black communities to 
sabotage them. And the truth, like, I haven't looked into this. I, I would personally call this a liberal conspiracy theory because black people tend to be liberals and I hear it all the time from them. And this is why they distrust the government. But even uh, Democratic Party leaders talk about this uh, conspiracy like it's a fact. And again, it's one of those things where I haven't personally looked into it. I don't know if I could say I believe it or don't believe it. But, you know, it's it's one of those things where could it happen? Sure, of course. Okay, so so let's 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 stay there for one second. Let's say we've established. I mean, Josh doesn't know what's true about that. I don't know what's true about this. Breeze doesn't know what's true about that. But but what happens in a, in a nation where we depend on? I mean, when you're answering to a king, you got no choice, right? I mean, when when you're holding to a dictator, you got no choice. But the dictator's dictator, and you're not. The king's the king, and you're not. But in a nation that professes to govern itself every two and four years and every six years in the Senate, what happens when that government proves to be untrustworthy? What happens when enough people will consider some of these outlandish conspiracies that Josh and I are talking about? I mean, what happens when, once again, if you're a citizen of a country led by a dictator, you just take it on the chin. I mean, there's nothing you can do about it. Do you trust your government? No. What will you do about it? I can't do anything about it, man. Say I mean, too much, you get killed. Yeah, I mean, we got this king, we got this dictator, we got this monarch. But but I always felt America had an ability to express itself. And when we, uh, by a majority, begin so distrusting our government, we rebel. We, we do things to, to prove a point. We have access to influencing our government. I mean, you know, in certain places around the world, they, they, once again, they're stuck. They don't have the ability to elect their officials and leaders every two, four, or six years. We have that. So as a group of voters, what should our reaction be? When we get to a place, and I've used these words, uh, uh, you know, over and over, when the, when the government appears to have lost its moral authority, and the majority of Americans, 61% of Americans believe Joe Biden's corrupt. I mean, just kind of. I mean, uh, we had an uh, an impeachment inquiry launched yesterday, not by the House. I mean, not by a floor vote because McCarthy doesn't have the votes. I mean, he went the the way, and he's got to be careful with this. Somebody's got to be real careful because at some point in time there'll be articles of impeachment, and if you didn't have the votes to get a, if you didn't have the floor votes to win, to to begin an inquiry, then what makes you believe you're going to have the vote? Let's say the Oversight Judiciary and Ways and Means come back with a you know, a thorough investigation that shows Joe Biden is corrupt. You still got to go to Republicans in swing districts and get them to vote for the articles of impeachment when they wouldn't even vote for an impeachment inquiry. So I think the Republicans have really put themselves out there. I understand why McCarthy did it, and I think it's the right thing to do, but he's got to whip some people in shape and convince them of of overwhelming evidence. But I want to go back to a, a lot of our show, since and I think Rev made a, a valid point yesterday. Rev said that the majority of you didn't want to talk about distrust in government on 9/11 because you felt it disrespected. You know the people who did lose their lives, the way the nation was grieving as one to to kind of accept this as wow. I mean nobody saw that coming. Nobody ever thought that would happen. And I think 9/11 is a, is a reverent day. I mean I think it is a day that we set aside to respect those who um who went to work as they always do and didn't come home. 
But but the next day is when we kind of jump in the deep end of, you know, what did the government know? What did the government not know? My point, I don't have any idea what the government knew or not. I mean, do I believe the government lied to us about 9-11? Of course. Absolutely, I think the government lied to you about 9-11. I mean, we know they lied about weapons of mass destruction. There's a good point. Let's stay there one second. So Colin Powell said, I am very uncomfortable saying Saddam has weapons of mass destruction because the intel we have is old and outdated. Say it anyway. Say it anyway. That, that to me, is very believable. I mean, I'll ask Rev and Josh. So Colin Powell walks into George W. Bush's office, more than likely Cheney's office, or Rumsfeld, and says, you know, you guys want me to address the U.N. as Secretary of State and say things that I'm not sure are true. I mean, I do believe Saddam had weapons of mass destruction. He killed Kurds. A lot of our intelligence says the weapons of mass destruction have been shuffled across the Syrian border. He and Assad had a deal. And I'm just, Dick, I'm not comfortable saying this. Say it anyway. Say it anyway. I think that's likely. Okay, I think that's highly likely. I mean, I think that's more. I think there's a a 100% chance that that's the way that went down. Because we know that Colin Powell, in his reflective moment, said, I never wanted to say that. But he did it anyway. But he said it anyway. What sort of pressure was building on Colin Powell to lie to the American public or lie to the world about something that, that ended up costing trillions of dollars in, in, in American taxpayer dollars and, you know, young people not being here any longer alive and, and many maimed for life. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937, our number. Let's go to the phone. A couple of callers are there. Here is Tim in Florence. Good morning, Tim. You're on the air. Hey, guys, long time no speak, and actually, I am in downtown Charleston right now on business, so I, I, if I sound like I'm out of breath, it's because I'm fat and out of shape, and I am out of breath. Good deal, good deal. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm getting, I'm, I'm chewing gum and walking at the same time here, I guess. I'm uh, getting steps in, but uh, Ken, to further your point about Google and its power and its size, this past weekend, obviously, was the first weekend of the NFL, and I'm a big NFL fan. I made it past the kneeling and all that stuff. But, uh, you know, for 20, whatever, 26, 27 years, the Sunday ticket was exclusive of DirecTV. Where's the home for the Sunday ticket now? YouTube, YouTube TV, owned by Google. Now, the NFL is a 10-plus billion, with a B, a year enterprise. So to get in on that package, Google paid, y'all can look it up, 4 billion, with a B, and change probably, I think was the number. Now you don't spend that kind of money if you're not making money back. So just was kind of a thought listening to you this morning talking about Google power and size, and now they're in a partnership with the NFL too. So, well said, thank you, Tim. Appreciate that. I mean, you know, and I'm not. I hate to say this because I sound like a Democrat. The rich getting richer. I'll give you another example. I mean, I've read a lot about uh, real estate. Uh, you know, I, I've got some exposure to real estate. I'm concerned about what it looks like a year from now. Um, $900 billion of commercial real estate debt will be refinanced by the end of the year at an average of 2.5% point uh, percentage interest rate higher. So, so the, I mean, to think of this now, roughly it's 100 shy of a trillion, $900 billion worth of commercial real estate will have to be refinanced before the end of the year 
and the average rate will be two and a half points higher than it is now. About one third of that real estate is underperforming. Here's what will happen. You ready? The majority of office space that is underperforming as a result of transitioning from, you know, needing a big office to now working at home and working at Starbucks and they just don't need all this office space in some of these major metro. And it's kind of a, it's a, it's a double whammy. You've got some of these cities that have vacant office space. Um, the cities are run by liberal Democrat governments. They don't, they don't take care of crime and law and order and all these other sorts of things. And there's just not a demand for office space. So there's going to be a conversion. I'll predict there's going to be a conversion of that office space to residential. And the companies who do this are going to have to spend billions of dollars. And it's likely to be Vanguard, BlackRock, and Goldman Sachs. Because most of us don't have, you know, 30, 40, 50 billion dollars to buy all this distressed uh, re- real estate and then convert it into, I mean, you know, Goldman deserves and Vanguard and BlackRock deserve to be able to buy that property. But we build an economy that is so advantageous for those who have the capital. And, and it goes back to my point, and I've said this for, you know, several years now. I think the last 40, 50, 60 years of our economy have overvalued capital and undervalued labor. And, and, and labor is a part of productivity. And, and I, you know, I don't have an economic theory, but, but I'm telling you, the $900 billion of commercial property that's going to be refinanced at 2.5% higher, some will walk away. Some will say somebody owns an office building in, in a major American city, and they're going to tell the bank, forget the refi, just foreclose. I mean, here, here are the keys. And, and some bottom feeders will, will come in and buy that for pennies on the dollar or dimes on the dollar, and they'll convert that from office space to residential, and it's more than likely going to be um, Goldman, Vanguard, or BlackRock. Why? Because it's going to be an expensive proposition, and they've got all the money. And I guess fundamentally I'm asking a question, sh- should a conservative be concerned about a smaller and smaller and smaller percentage of businesses and Americans having control of more and more and more of our nation's wealth? I'll answer, yes, absolutely you should be concerned about that because it never ends well, that there's not, a, there's not an example of that in human history that ends well. And I think we find ourselves conflicted. I mean, we, we do. We believe in limited government. We believe in the, the, the animal spirits of the free market. But all of a sudden, the animal spirits of the free market are distorted by government policy, edict, and order. And, and some businesses gain favor with government, get policy uh, passed. And I'm not saying that Goldman, Vanguard, or BlackRock shouldn't be allowed to buy that distressed real estate and convert it to residential. That's going to happen. I'm convinced of that. I mean, if I were a billionaire, that would be my play. I mean, if I were a guy with more money than I knew what to do with, I would hire Josh and I'd say, Josh, go to these American cities and find out where the best properties are. And, and they're going to be distressed because people just aren't going back to work in, the, in that, you know, that million square foot office complex. It's just not going to, I mean, that, 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 that is going to be, whether they know it or not, I mean, that's a, an incredibly distressed asset. Let's buy that building. Let's get a price on what it takes to convert it to apartments or condos, and, and we'll make some money. I mean, that, that's going to happen. And the majority of companies that have the capability to do that are already playing in that sandbox of, you know, converging or merging government and and the private sector. Let's go to the phone. Mike in Darlington. Good morning, Mike. You're on. Hey, hey, Ken. Uh, it, you really got a great show. You had a great show yesterday. That uh, guy, the hacker guy that came in there, that, that was some insight. And I find that very easily believed that these machines are easily uh, 
hacked and you can change the algorithms in them uh, relatively easily if you get uh, if you uh, find out what the registers are to go to with which commands. But um, the uh, if there's any doubt about can you trust the government, all you had to do was watch that withdrawal on television from Afghanistan and uh, the craziness of leaving all that equipment at Bagram Air Base. Why we would give that up first before you gave up the civilian air base uh, is beyond me. I don't know. It's just a craziness. But we live in a crazy time when we limit the production of baby formula to one or two companies or and one or two sites across the nation for 350 million people. I think all of these things should be broken up. Uh, you should have at least a dozen uh, different sites where uh, baby formula is manufactured. Uh, that that just seems like common sense. You wouldn't want to put everything, all your eggs in one basket. But we live in an age of uh, big government, bigger government, biggest government, and uh, corporatism. It's not uh, free spirits of capitalism or anything like that. It's corporatism, and that's. Uh, I think uh, it's dangerous uh, to let these corporations just run wild because they're not really concerned about the people. They're concerned about uh, their power and profits. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate that. So we, as conservative Republicans, are arguing that it's time for the government to break up some of these uber-successful businesses. I mean, in, essence, in theory, that's kind of what we're arguing. Sounds and like I, what we're saying. I mean, and I find myself so conflicted. And i got to believe that I'm not on an island when I feel that way. I mean, I believe in capitalism. I accept the imperfections of capitalists. I mean, we're called human beings, right? We aren't Vulcans. I mean, we're, we're, we're flawed people, men and women. We are, we're motivated by normally fear and greed. I mean, the one extreme, you got fear. You overreact, and then the other side, you got greed. You overreact. Uh, very few of us live in the middle every second of every day. We just don't. We can't uh, because, once again, we're not Vulcans. We're not, we're not logical beings every moment of every day. We have the capacity to be logical, but we're normally influenced by, you know, greed on one extreme, fear on the other. Um, and, and I think the private sector has enjoyed i think certain players in the private sector have gotten more than they deserve because they've curried favor with the government so if we believe I, i'd ask you this rev would you be i mean if, if dave baker were king of the world and he were in charge of making this decision and the single question baker's got to decide do we break walmart up or not do we do with walmart what we did with my bail back in the day or standard oil back in the day or not i mean what do you say See, for you to not be able to answer that and say, of course not. Right. We don't do that. I mean, that's what not that's not what conservatives believe. But you have been convinced, probably by the doofus you sit beside every morning for 12 <laughs> years, that Walmart has more than its fair share of market. Uh, of market. Mar Walmart didn't earn that market share. Walmart gained favor by lobbying the government. And out of that came uh, certain conditions that allowed them to to benefit enormously. I'm not saying and, and the and, and the position they've attained is that in the best interest of the citizens as a whole. And is that the ultimate responsibility of a government official? But let, let, let's say that Walmart is making more profit than they ever have. And they're easy to pick on uh, and they're probably unfair. I mean they, they you know Walmart is a 
a great American success story. Um, but, but they're an easy target. Uh, because they have brick and mortar. It's hard to pick on Amazon. Where's the Amazon store? Parking lot's not full. Right. You know what I mean? It's out there in the um in the in the internet world. I mean Amazon sales outpace Walmart. But but we don't see the Walmart part I mean the Amazon parking lot. We don't we don't see the the buildings that are closed now. Uh when you go to Main Street USA and you see the three, four, five, six mom and pop businesses that were thriving and prosperous until Walmart came to town, Amazon doesn't come to town. There, there would be a better way to say it. When Walmart comes to town, their parking lots fill up, uh, their stop lots in front of their building, and then 25 or 30 other businesses go away. And to Rev's point, is that good for the city, the county, the community, uh, the way of life? I think those are fair questions to ask. But then you've got to take the next step. If, if Rev makes a determination that, man, our community was better when we didn't have Walmart. I mean, we had about eight places to go buy groceries. We had about six places to go buy a television. We had about, you know, 12 places to go buy, you know, socks and, and whatever. I mean, whatever that, that durable good or not that you're purchasing. And now, you know, Main Street is boarded up. Walmart had to add on to their parking lot. Is that good for the community? And Rev decides, no, that's not good for the community. You can't let one business monopolize commerce in that fashion but then Rev's got to decide, but what is government's responsibility there? It's easy that's to say it's not conflicting. good. You're sure it is. It's easy to say it's not good. I mean, I, I'll say it loudly and proudly. For, for, for everybody to go to one place and do their shopping at the expense of 15 or 20 other places to save $12, $13, $14 per trip, I mean, I get it. I mean, I understand how the economy works. Rev wants to save money. I want to save money. They offer you better savings, so you go to Walmart. And once again, I'm picking on Walmart. Um, but but then you've got the the, the 16 other businesses that, in, that had been in business a cumulative uh, 100 years, and they're gone. Is that good or not for your community? No, it's not good for your community. But then you've got to ask yourself an even tougher question. What is government's role in relation to that? Right. I mean, what, what is government, does government have a job to make sure communities are fair uh, balanced. I mean, we have, you know, uh, the, the, the consolidation of retail. I mean, we've kind of seen that. I mean, it's not Walmart didn't buy businesses. They just shut businesses down. Amazon didn't buy businesses. They just shut businesses, yeah. but they're, but they're better Cap- at it. Capitalism. Yeah. But there, there you go. That's <laughs> capitalism in its truest sense. I mean, if Josh runs a, a tire shop and I run a tire shop and Josh does a better job as running his tire shop, then Josh is going to have more customers. And I'm eventually going to go out of business. But do we get to a point where Josh is the only tire shop in town because he's run everybody outside of business that government intervenes? And conservatives historically have said, no, we don't do that. J.D. Vance is saying, ah, let's take a look. But let's see if there's a better way to address some of the, um, uh, in, I don't say inequity, that's unfair, some of the uh, one-sidedness. In this, um, in this economy. And for me, it's easier to consider this when we talk about Google, for example, because of the way we feel like they censor certain points of view. I mean, they are, if they're a public square, their search results you, uh, you assume or should presume are going to be fair and actual results, not skewed one way or another. The censoring they do on YouTube, if you feel like all those things are unfair, for me, it's probably easier to to understand, well, maybe there is something there that needs to happen. But Walmart or Amazon hadn't done anything to make you mad yet, right? Right. It's easy to put a bulls on, on uh, Google's back because they're playing in your world yep. and you feel they're being unfair. 
but there's nothing about Walmart or Amazon that, that have led you to believe, okay, they're, they're treating conservatives. There's a price for conservatives and a price for liberals. There's a door for conservatives to go in and a door for liberals to go in. Now, if they ever cross that, uh, you know, if they ever do that, it would be interesting. I mean, the Waltons have been real smart. I check this occasionally. They're, they're an equal giver. I mean, you know, the, the, the heirs to Walmart or the Walmart political action committees, I mean, it, it's almost like they, they got an accountant somewhere saying, don't you give one red cent more to one side than the other. You make sure we play the way we need and to play. That would be smart. Sure. I mean, that, hedging your bets. We don't know who's going to be in control. So let's make sure we're in good standing uh, with both. And they know the way to get in good standing is to write checks. Let's go to the phone, then we'll take a break. Daphne and Dylan, good morning. Good morning. Uh, I personally think that uh, Merrick Garland's DOJ is not going after Google because they disagree with the monopoly. I think they're doing them the same way they've done Elon Musk. The fact that they have allowed any dissent from the narrative is the reason that the DOJ is going after them and the fact that it's a form of extortion. Uh, think about the millions and millions and millions of dollars that Google will pay them to back off. And the fact that, uh, you know, our Congress now is threatening to cut their budget would ensure that they have enough by going after somebody like Google to do their little dirty deeds. Uh, uh, I tell you what, I was down at the beach when uh, Walmart tried to build a, 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 a super center down at Polly's Island, and I know that Polly's Island didn't let them do it. So they built it on the edge of Garden City there. So I tell you, it's, it's a matter of extortion, and it's a matter... And you can't trust this government to do anything that is helpful for the American people. When you think about what they did with COVID, funding, sending taxpayer money through a third party to hide it to a, a lab in China to develop a virus that would jump from person to person and then trying to cover it up and just Yesterday, they discovered that the seven analysts that were supposedly investigating whether or not it came from the Wuhan lab, that six of those were bribed or paid to say, oh, no, it couldn't have come from the Wuhan lab. So how do you trust somebody like that? Thank you. Thank you, Daphne. Appreciate it. 843-661-0937. Take a break. Back. In just a few. 843-661-0937 is our number. Second half of Wake Up, um, Carolina. We're, we're, it's, an, it's an interesting debate we're having. Josh, I want you to jump in. Okay. I mean, you, you're a Republican because you believe in less government, correct? I mean, you've led me to believe your father had a lot of influence. Yes. On your political biases. Some I mean, of that be natural. My dad had a lot of influence on, I mean, I don't think my dad said, hey, here's the way politics works and here's what I think you should believe. But, but by the nature of what he did and the things he said and the way he lived his life, it was pretty obvious to me he ain't one of them. He's probably more in line uh, with one of these. But when you hear, you know, older conservatives, and I think Jim's talking about, you know, kind of doing away with the word. 
Uh, you know, we're, we're not conservatives any longer. What do you mean we're not conservatives? I'm a subscriber to the National Review. And I read the Wall Street Journal editorial board. I, I was going to ask, mean? has anybody told the traditional Republicans this? Well, I mean, that, there's the resistance. And I don't know that the traditional Republican is resisting America first as they are change. In other words, we've always been in charge, guys. We set the debate. You know, our policies come from the think tanks like the, the Heritage Foundation, the Cato Institute, um, the, the National Review. What they write carried the day by and large. And America Firsters are going, no, I mean, that, you know, I don't like what the Heritage Foundation said about this. I don't care what the, the Cato Institute said about this. There is no way traditional conservatism would even have a debate about Walmart and Amazon. I mean, that, there's just no way. I mean, the traditional conservatism would argue that's the free market. I mean, the free market has winners and losers. The free market has big winners and big losers. And, um, and conservatives just don't go down down that road. And it, it, it kind of dawned on me when, when J.D. Vance began saying things, you know, about, about what are we going to do once we control government? I mean, Democrats are not going to have control of government forever. I mean, there's going to be another Republican president, despite what the New York Times writes. I mean, there will be a day, probably sooner than later, that we have another Republican president. We're going to have a day in, in, in our country's history or future that Republicans will be in charge of the House, Senate, and the White House. Now, 60 votes? No. I mean, I, I can't foresee a scenario where either party has, you know, a supermajority or 60 votes in, in the Senate. That ain't happening. But there will be a day in the next 10 years, 12, 15 years, that Republicans get to make some of these big decisions. And I'm not saying it's, you know, on the ballot today we've got, do we break up Walmart and Amazon or not? But, but I think some of the underlying principles are going to contribute to a debate or not about these sorts of issues. And, and, and America First is at odds with conservatism the way we've historically understood conservatism. You well, say what to that, Josh? I'd say for the most part I do agree. I, don't, I, I would not say that I'm a Republican because I believe in small government. I'd say I probably did start out that way. But I believe that uh, more in the social issues, the conservative issues, you know, Christianity, faith. You're one of them abortion. Bible thumpers. I'm a Bible thumper, okay. absolutely. And okay. so small government to me, I think what the Democrats are doing now is bad, not out of some moral issue with what they're doing, but because they are immoral. Okay, let, let's if, go down this road. You've exposed yourself, and I yes. am a great interrogator. Mm -hmm. You ready? You're mm -hmm. a young guy. You're a smart guy. You're a, kind of a guy interested in the world. Right. You're talking about morality and ethics and virtue and all these other sorts of things. Christianity and, I mean, Christianity is I am my brother's keeper, right? I mean, that, that's a, a part of Christianity in general. Um, you know, uh, don't covet. And all, you know, I mean, I don't want to go down the Ten Commandments, but, I mean, in essence, that's kind of the, um, that's the virtues Christians ascribe to and try to live their lives by. Heavy on the try to live their lives um, by. But let me ask you this, Josh. I know you're answering the phone, but stick with me for a second. So what, as, as someone, I mean, I, I'm, I'm saying that jokingly, but sincerely, you, you're somewhat of a Bible thumper, and I respect that. I mean, we called Cato uh, Deeringly, or in Deer, we called him a Bible thumper. Um, is Walmart and Amazon having $1.2 trillion 
in annual sales and 3.9 million employees at the expense of others, moral. But let's go down. Let's go down this road. I mean, forget, okay. for, forget the economy or forget the economics of it. I mean, forget how many businesses are, are not in business any longer because they have they have performed so well in the marketplace. Whether you believe the marketplace is too skewed or not, too distorted or not, there is no doubt that Amazon and Walmart are behemoths. I mean, they they, they are absolute giants in, in the world of retail. And for every dollar spent at Walmart or Amazon is a dollar not spent at a local business. I mean, I don't know where Amazon's corporate headquarters is, but they probably got a lot of money in those banks. Uh, I know Bentonville, Arkansas. I mean, I don't know how this would be an interesting question. Rev said, yeah, that would be. How much in deposits does Walmart and Amazon have in banks other than Bentonville, Arkansas and wherever Amazon is located? I mean, how much of that money is transferred every night to Bentonville, Arkansas, or the bank of their choice? And and, and that, that that lack of investment or not. I mean, I could be fooled. Maybe all of their money stays in in these communities. But is that a, here's a better way to ask. Is that a matter of morality, Josh, that, that two companies have between them $1.2 trillion in sales and 3.9 million employees? We know that, that that kind of forces others to not be able to compete in that space, is there any morality or ethic involved in that? That's a tough question. I, I'm not totally sure. I'd say less so. I do think that, you know, like you said, my politics is informed by my faith and morality. So when you get into these issues, like, you know, abortion, it's either you're, you're right or you're wrong on that issue. There's no in between. With this one, this these kind of economic questions they're more up in the air so but, i would but, say but, but you would agree the economics of this question they do in some way shape or form creep into the world of morality yes and, and, ethics. and i'll tell you why because like look at the pandemic you've you've said the conservatives have basically become like we're having our woodstock moment whatever that means no i'm kidding <laughs> we're the ones saying hell no Right. I'm not taking that shot. You're not going to tell me to take a vaccine that hadn't gone through all the research necessary to prove of a vaccine. I mean, that, that's our hippie moment. Right. So, like, during the pandemic, you have the government, which at the time and still is largely controlled by leftists who, you know, purport to be the the moral party the, or even the, the party looking out for the little man against capitalism. They shut down all the local shops, all the local restaurants, and they keep open Amazon and Walmart. How how does that square? Well, I mean, to, to me, that was immoral. Exactly, I, mean, not, I think not, it that's was not wrong. only unfair economically; it was immoral. I mean, that that was immoral to tell a person that your job is not essential, and your business is not essential. What what about that loan I've got at the bank? What about these five employees I've got depending on that paycheck? And you're telling me they're they're not essential. I mean, and I do believe that, and I, I, maybe we're on to something here. I mean, maybe the debate we're having about Amazon and Walmart, and they're easy targets. I mean, I'm sure there are great people. I am sure of this. There are phenomenal people that, that work at Amazon and Walmart. I'm not impugning. I'm just saying, is this a matter? Of, it is obviously an economic matter. I mean, we know when Walmart comes to town, other businesses struggle. We know when Amazon takes orders online, those are orders not being taken by a local business. We know that. I mean, that's undeniable. The, the morality ethics side of this and government's responsibility to that, I mean, that gets fuzzy. Yeah. I, mean, that I, gets I don't know that I can get, I don't know I can get there to say that 
just the fact that Walmart has X amount of revenue or Amazon has X amount of revenue. Well, and you employees. look it up during the break. I mean, between the two, they're at about $1.2 trillion in sales. I mean, that's I mean, that's a staggering amount of money. I mean, both do about $600 billion a year and generally, I'd in, say in revenue. Good for them. Okay, sure. Generally, they, you would. They did a great job. But but you would accept. And, and the conservative in you says, I can't touch that. I mean, they've earned that. I mean, those 3.9 million people that work at Walmart and Amazon that generate that $1.2 trillion in revenue, they've earned that. But the America Firster in you says, and I'm putting words in your mouth, but you've told me that. The America Firster in you says, I don't know that that's good. I don't know that that's in the best interest of we the people. It seems like we the people would be better served if these 3.9 million people and this $1.2 trillion in revenue what were spread amongst 500 businesses instead of two. The, the Little League Baseball League may be a little better. You know, the church giving may be up a tick. I, I, once again, I don't know the answer to these questions. I, I just think they're interesting and necessary debates to have as we transition from a conservative party that believed less government's better to a party that says, I don't know, man. I mean, maybe government does need to intervene policy-wise in creating more opportunities for companies to compete with Walmart. And Amazon, and especially when you hear the stories about the the high number of Walmart employees that require some sort of government assistance to sustain. Yeah, I mean they, they played a game. They played it brilliantly. And and I'll tell you this, as a shareholder of Walmart, and I am, um, yeah, I've got this this fund, and I'm, I mean I get a list of who they're in this in Walmart. I'm I'm you know I mean they they have a responsibility to me to perform right. So if the government has made available certain opportunities. Don't the executives at Walmart owe it to their shareholders to take advantage of those opportunities? I mean, if the government says, if you don't work somebody but this many hours, you don't have to provide this much benefit. And Walmart says, okay, we didn't make that rule. You kind of did. Um, but but in, the word, in other words, if we can work people 33 hours a week, we don't have to provide this benefit. And by not providing that benefit, they get to go to the government and apply for, you know, uh, the, the, the taxpayer-funded benefit. I mean, it's a game. But, but once again, Walmart didn't vote on that. I mean, nobody at Walmart gets a right to vote in Congress. I mean, they obviously lobby, and they have a right to petition their government. I'm just saying it's not as easy as you expect that answer to be. I mean, I grew up believing, no, of course not. If you'd asked me this 10 years ago, you know, should the government consider something in regards to Walmart and Amazon, I'd say, get out of my face. That's nonsense. I mean, I'm a conservative. I'm a capitalist. Get out of my face. But, but all of a sudden now, America firster, and you see the, you know, kind of, kind of the state of the nation and its economy, and, and you've got this income inequality. And I remember the first day I said something to Rev about income inequality. He looked at me like, you've lost your mind. I, said, I, I remember, I said, Rev, I'm telling you, this would have been eight years ago. Rev, the Republican Party better understand that income inequality is an issue. And it's going to be a bigger issue and a bigger issue and a bigger issue. And here we are eight years later. And the, the Republican Party's trying to understand where its policies need to be in relation to fewer and fewer companies and people getting or gaining control of more and more and more of our nation's wealth. Capitalism allow, allows that. I mean, it does. I know we're picking on Walmart a little bit. What may be immoral is to have 48 checkout lanes and none of them open with employees to check you out. And there are five checkout lanes and that's all. But as a shareholder, I like you checking your own groceries out. Right. I mean, being honest, I mean, that, that, that's, you know, I understand business. I mean, the, the cost of labor 
It's, I, I'm just, it's, an, it's a complicated debate, but one I think America Firsters must have. Let's go to the phone. Dale in Florence. Good morning. You're on. Hey, guys. And you could add loads to that and probably get up into $2 trillion worth of revenue between the three of them. Um, so, uh, Ken, you made a comment a while ago about Republicans will have the Senate and the House and the presidency again. But, you know, we had that in 2016. And the only thing we got out of it, and, and it was extremely important, and we can thank our lucky stars that we voted for President Trump, is we got some uh, Supreme Court justices out of it. But other than that, you know, here, here Trump is begging a Republican uh, House of Representatives and Senate to send him a bill to repeal Obamacare. Nope. They, they didn't do nothing. The only thing we got out of a Republican Senate and House was whatever President Trump got us. The rest of them are garbage, in, in my opinion. Um, it, it, it is hard. It's the age-old question, is it, is it legal or is it moral? And, and that is a tough question, and, and, and good for you guys for bringing this up. You know, a few months ago, Ken, or a few weeks ago, I asked you, what would be the right thing to do on climate change? What would be the right thing to do in this case? Um, and, and I have wondered, by having these huge corporations, and here I go with a conspiracy again, when the government does decide, can, can you, you ask a question, is it better to have two big corporations or spread out over 500? Well, when the government decides to take over these corporations, all they have to take over is two. They don't have to take over five. I've wondered about that as well, seeing seeing these conglomerates grow and grow and grow. Um, at the end of the day, why is the government allowing this? You guys have a good day. Thank you, Dale. Appreciate that. 843-661-0937. It's complicated. I mean, some of the best shows we've ever had on these airwaves or shows that we don't resolve the issue. I don't know the answer to this dilemma. I mean, it's real. Uh, it, it's undeniable. Rev looked it up. I mean, it, it's $1.2 trillion in revenue, 3.9 million jobs. Is that good for America? For two companies to have such a large influence in our daily activities. I'm not accusing Walmart of breaking any laws. I mean, I could easily accuse them of making a few laws. I'm not accusing Amazon of breaking any laws. I could easily accuse Amazon of being in the room when some of these laws, some of these laws are made. I'm just arguing, and I think Dale nailed it. You know, legal and right. I mean, what's legal and what's right? And and I think America firsters, and I, I want to go back to what Dale said about, you know, we didn't get anything out of this. The the one advice I've tried to give is America first is a baby. I mean, it is a work in progress. Trump winning in 16 was the beginning of this journey. To, to expect in 16 Trump wins and everybody becomes a convert in 18, and then 20 Trump wins again, and even more people become converts. Um, people have deep-held feelings and, and biases and beliefs, and you're not going to change their mind. This is a generational situation. I mean, th this is... I mean, I told you, I got a buddy on Capitol Hill. He's a chief of staff for a congressman. And he told me, I asked him on the record, I went off the record, I said, hey, 
I'll share this with the audience if you don't mind. What percentage of office holders in Washington with an R beside their name are genuinely America Firsters? And he said, you know, one in four. That means three in four aren't. And for you folks from Pamplico, three is more than one, uh, a good bit more uh, than when you see where I'm headed. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, one in four is better than one half in four. But one in four is not good as two in four. And, and I, I just think if we're going to sustain a political movement, and it's really predicated on populism, it has to stop being as populist and more ideological. And I think we're in kind of a, um, is, it, is it fair to say a gestation period? of, you know, populism converting to an ideology. I mean, the populism's raw. I mean, it, it's unavoidable. It, it's inescapable. It's there. I mean, you know it. You smell it. You sense it. You see it. You believe in it. You can touch it, feel it. But populism is not a coherent governing philosophy. Populism is the ingredient that disrupts what is normally considered the way we do things. But on the other side, there's got to be some policy. There, there's got to be an agenda. And, and I think, you know, to expect that to happen in one election is, is just, I think, we're, we're expecting too much. Now, now, I will say this. We should have overturned Obamacare. And if John McCain and George, excuse me, John McCain and Donald Trump didn't have some personal vendetta, and, and to be honest with you, I'm not defending McCain. A thumbs down was a lousy moment for the Republican Party. But Trump said, I like my heroes who hadn't been captured. I mean, what if you'd spent time at a POW camp and the guy running with an R beside his name said that about you? How inclined are you to help or not? Once again, the Vulcan votes thumbs up. The human being with emotional energy invested remembers what the guy said about him. I mean, if you're McCain and you remember the days in a POW camp and the guy said, I like my heroes that weren't captured, chance to go thumbs up or thumbs down. Just saying. Back in a few. Four three six six one zero nine three seven is our number. Okay, repeat that question you just asked during the break. Should the government require? What's what's the question? Should I'm the government to require certain things of certain companies who have gained certain percentages of market share? I mean, you know where I'm hmm. headed. Should Walmart be allowed for forty percent of it, or let's say thirty percent? I think it's closer to thirty percent. Should Walmart be allowed for 30% of its employees to be on Medicaid? Should the government do something about that? So you're talking about should they require certain benefits and minimum well, pay is, and is things there, like is that? Is there a threshold? Is there a threshold of, of revenue or, or, or profit yeah. that requires the government to say, hey, you can't do this? I mean, this isn't, I mean imagine Walmart. Yeah, you're a $500 billion company. Yeah, you're, you're, well, $600 billion. You're a $600 billion yeah. company and one-third of your employees are on Medicaid. Come on. I mean, we can do better than that. Um, but but should the government require companies that get to a certain percentage of market share to do certain things for their employees, retirement, um, health care? I'm just throwing that out there. Um, well, I'm a conservative. You know, you know how us conservatives are. Mm-hmm. We believe what we believe. We're um we're uh, we're truer to ourselves. No, we're not. We're, we're as conflicted as anybody. Let's go to the phone. Here's Roger. Good morning. Well, good morning, fellas. How are y'all? Hey, Roger. Uh, just one thing, uh, and I'm going to switch gears a little bit from what you were talking about because, you know, all that's over my head. You know, I'm not smart enough to you know, comprehend all of that. Mm. <laughs> but looking about a more simplistic thing, it was interesting, and I know national polls don't mean anything because it's a statewide deal, 
but I'm sure you saw a poll a week or so ago that actually showed that Nikki Haley had a six-point lead over Joe Biden in a particular race, in a presidential race, whereas, you know, she was ahead of everybody else as far as a matchup with Biden. Um, and despite what your feelings about Haley one way or the other, uh, I always considered her to be pretty shrewd politically. Then I read this morning uh, where she has said what she said I believe in is true, but politically speaking, I don't think it was very wise. She's coming out to up the age for Social Security, and you've talked about that before, that that's going to have to be dealt with at some point. Uh, politically, I don't know that that was a good thing for her uh, to do that. Now, you're talking about traditional Republicans versus, you know, the America first. I don't know where exactly you would put Haley, probably whichever way the wind blows or whatever. But you have to decide, and these Republican voters have to decide, and this is what scares me. Would you rather have another term of Joe Biden? versus a Donald Trump or DeSantis? Or is it important enough to get rid of Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, and go with somebody that could probably win a lot easier? So that's the dilemma Republicans have got to face. And you've got to face the reality one way or the other. So, you know, that's kind of what I'm saying here this morning. Thank you, Roger. Appreciate it. I saw the poll. And, I'm, and the Haley team played that up. Now, now, two things about the poll, and this gets in the weeds a bit. You ready? That they oversampled, or let, let me back up. Haley and I believe that they oversampled independents and females. I mean, that was a very intentional poll. I mean, and, and look, it, I mean, Nikki is a credible candidate. She ain't going to win the primary because Trump's going to win it. I mean, I'm convinced of that. I mean, I, I just don't see uh, another lane for anybody. I mean, it's just to. It's such a dominating number now. And I think the indictments have solidified his support in somewhere in the mid-40s. How does somebody get to 45? I mean, I don't think Trump's at 52, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, but he's at 45. And, and, and is there a pathway for any candidate to get to 45? If everybody got out today and that other candidate, let's say it's Haley, I mean, if every vote of Christie – and Hutchinson and DeSantis and Scott and Ramaswamy went to to Nikki. I mean, it would be you know mono a womano. I mean, it, it would be you know um, tit for tat in that. Um, my interpretation of the poll that had Nikki at forty nine, Biden at forty four, forty five, and I think all the others were about a point or two within one another. Nikki was outside the margin of error. I think it's um, further proof that Trump better pick a woman. I mean, that, that's my interpretation of, and once again, would Nikki Haley have a better chance to beat Joe Biden than Donald Trump? Yes. Would Ron DeSantis have a better chance to beat Donald Trump? Yes. Under normal circumstances. But these are abnormal, and we're still trying to figure out the 30% that say they won't vote for anybody not named Donald Trump. And I don't know that polling is caught up to that yet. In fact, I know that polling is not caught up with that yet. But, but, you know, that, that's my interpretation of that. Um, Trump brings a lot of baggage, but he brings a lot of votes. And how many of those 30% who say I'm not voting for anybody other than Donald Trump mean what they say? You don't know. I don't know. Nobody does. But, but that's kind of sort of where I see this thing. But, once again, 
it's not static. I mean, it's a very fluid situation. And things will change, and they'll move around and bob around. But when you take Ramaswamy and Trump's total, you get to about 50. And I think every Ramaswamy voter is going to vote for Trump. I say every. I don't mean literally every voter. I'm sure there will be a few. But the majority of Ramaswamy voters, what, 6 or 7%, I mean, they go to Trump. Yeah, that to 40, 41, 42, 43, you get kind of getting, I mean, you're getting real close to 50 there. And I just don't see how anybody can consolidate that much of the other vote. Let's go to the phone. Bill and Sumter listening to WDXY. Good morning, Bill. Hey, good morning, guys. Hey, Ken, going back to, like, Google and Walmart and all that, you know, I'm curious, what what do we have as, like, the, what is our responsibility as a consumer? I mean, we overconsume on everything, you know, and all they did is they took their business model and put it in one place to make it so much more easier as opposed to going to five stores to do all your shopping. You can get this all done in one now. You know, so what responsibility as consumers do, do we have? I mean, consumer choices. I mean, that, you know, the consumer has habits. Thank you, Bill. Appreciate the call. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I get, I mean, I, I'm not saying I don't understand why people go to Walmart. I certainly understand why people go to Walmart. You get everything you want under one roof. You believe you're getting better pricing. It's, it's, um, it's strategically located. Um, same thing with Amazon. You know, you sit in your pajamas at night. You order whatever you want to order. I don't have to go anywhere and put up with, you know, uh, you know, uh, you don't have to self-check out. You know, <laughs> right. you, know you, you don't have to um, worry about getting your car dinged or somebody, you know, hitting you in the head with a bottle in some of the Walmart parking lots. Um, I mean, it, the, yeah, the consumer is obviously empowered. I mean, it, it's our money that they need. Um, I just think it's an interesting debate. And once again, guys, I want to, I mean, I want to reiterate, I don't know the answer to this. I mean, if I'm sitting behind a desk as an elected official, somebody puts on my desk a bill that breaks up Walmart or breaks up Amazon, I don't know what I'd do. I mean, I'd have to gather a little more information than what I've had. But I do know that historically conservatives have said, get that mess out of my face. I mean, these two companies have earned their market share. I mean, that's the way the economy works. The economy has winners. The economy has big winners. The economy has losers. And the economy has big losers. I mean, that's just the nature of a free market. But but America first says, okay, but we've also got to consider, I'll go to Josh here for a second, we've got to consider the morality here. Is it in the country's best interest for consumers to have two choices or, or 20 choices or 30 choices or 40 choices? And, and I think some, I mean, I think a way to segue into a, a policy debate is, okay, Walmart, here's the deal. You've earned your share of the marketplace. You and Amazon both are dominant players, the dominant players in retail. But you're not, we're not going to fund, we're not going to send taxpayer dollars to Bentonville to pay for 30% of your employees' health insurance. So here's the deal. We're not going to, um, we're not going to break up the monopoly that is Walmart and Amazon. But we are going to stop allowing companies that have a certain amount of revenue from having a certain percentage of their employees on Medicaid. I mean, I think people would get comfortable with that. Maybe that's the baby step of America first. America firsters say, man, that, that, that concerns me. I mean, if we start breaking up Walmart, breaking up Amazon, what do we do? Break up United Delta, you know, what, what would our United American, do we, do we break up, you know, this uh, Nike? I mean, there are a lot of companies out there that have large shares. Um, do we do, I'll give you an example. Um, do you know it's not, I mean, I grew up believing it's Kleenex and Clorox. It's not, it's bleach and, and, uh, and tissue. Mm-hmm. But I mean, Clorox and Kleenex had such market shares 
I mean, do we break up Kleenex? Do we do we say, okay, you can't say Kleenex anymore. got to say tissue. And you can't say Clorox anymore. got to say bleach. Uh, that's before the private labels became in vogue, so to speak. But, um, but I do believe that America Firsters could get comfortable with legislation that said a company with $600 billion in annual revenue are not going to have their employees' insurance funded by the taxpayer. I mean, I, I think America could get comfortable with that. Um, and once again, I'm picking on Walmart because they're an easy target. And, and they're, you know, they're the, I mean, we've, we've read the stories about the number of Walmart employees participating in, in government-funded insurance and, and other sorts of um, subsidence programs. Let's go to the phone. Sam in Darlington. Good morning, Sam. Morning. Um, about, about corporations, I, I'm, I used to be a faithful reader and believe in the National Review and all that stuff, but what I think about corporations now is uh, a corporation is an, an artificial legal uh, structure that was created in order to limit the liability of investors. And that's a big advantage to invest to have their liability limited. You know, you invest, you you can lose what you put in, but if your company does a lot more damage than that, uh, you you know the general public has to absorb the other damage. And it's, it's it was invented uh, in the English uh, you know Industrial Revolution, and it it helped a lot. You know, got investment going, but. A uh, corporation is not a person. It's you know it's that, and uh, I think Congress ought to pass a law saying that corporations are not persons under the Constitution. They don't have free speech rights. They don't. They can be, and uh, in, in, in exchange for their limitation of liability, they can be regulated and taxed uh, in ways that people should not be uh, regulated and taxed, and. Uh, and they can be forbidden to lobby and uh, to make political contributions. And heck yes, break up corporations that are too big to fail, especially on Wall Street. That's what I got to say about that. Thank you, Sam. Appreciate that. Um, see, this is an interesting. I mean, these are good ideas, and no, nobody, nobody calling in has the power to do anything. And I certainly don't have. Uh, the power to do anything, but I think it's interesting to see where the public is in regards. And I don't think we're, we're drumming up anti-Walmart sentiment or anti-Amazon sentiment or anti-Clorox or Kleenex um, sentiment. I just think we're having a frank, honest discussion. And I guess, Rev, if I bring anything to the table that most of you don't, I mean, I've been inside the belly of the beast. I mean, I spent about 20 years of my life in elected office. I understand you know, the way some of these games are played and the way some of these things work themselves out. I mean, I've told the story. It may be a good time to tell it again about getting checks every day when I was running for lieutenant governor. I'd won the Republican nomination to get a check from, I think it might have been Main Street, USA. Well, I mean, who's not for Main Street, USA? You know, and another check from Main Street, USA Political Action Committee and another Main Street Political Action Committee's kid in Main Street. I'm going like, you know, what do you do with the checks? You put them in the bank. You know, you pay your campaign debt. You try to do the best you can to get elected. Uh, but once I became a Republican, uh, it was, I mean, not obvious, but if I didn't goof it up bad, I'm going to be the, the lieutenant governor of South Carolina. And that's when these companies began sending money just out of the blue. And eventually they came and paid me a visit. And they needed something done. And I'm going to tell you what they wanted done. 
the proverbial pulling up of the ladder. I mean, they, they had built a model, and they wanted to make sure nobody built a model to compete with that model. And they felt their investment in the person who presided over the state Senate would put them in good standing. And, you know, I mean, that's just the way the game is played. Did it? Well, I mean, I, I don't vote. I mean, I, you know, I know, all I do is assign but bills they, to committees. But they believed it would well, I mean, help? I, well, I mean, yeah. I mean, they wanted a friendly. They wanted somebody who, I mean, what do we say? What are we accusing Biden of? Selling access? Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they were buying access. They didn't buy. I mean, I don't vote, so you can't buy my vote. I don't share a committee. But but I do. I mean, I had the ability to help organize. And they were making, I mean, I'm sure I'm not the only person. I mean, they could get a hold of you and maybe get a call back so they could plead their well, I mean, case. If, if then, somebody called me from fair? Main Street USA and said, hey, can we meet with you tomorrow at 2? Uh, who is that? I mean, I, I'm not meeting somebody I don't know. Oh, that's the group that sent, you know, 10 consecutive days of $3,500 checks. Yeah. Um, cancel my wife's and our anniversary. I'll, I'll be where they need me. I'll be where they, where they need me to be. Take a break. Back <laughs> in a few go. moments. Uh, we would agree Walmart's a household name. Amazon's a household name. What about Mailman, Cognati, Nichols Group, Simon & Russell Group, Capital Council, Hogan Lavelle's, Alpine Group, LPR, uh, excuse me, HLPNR Advocacy, Cove Strategies, Empire Consulting, uh, Farrakh Strategies. Anybody ever heard of it? Amazon nope. and Walmart are household names. That's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. You got 10 companies I just listed. Josh, you got any idea who they are? No, sir. Those are the companies that Walmart paid $6.4 million to. All are DC located, all are registered lobbyists. Oh. Mm-hmm. $6.4 million, um, and it's itemized. I mean, they paid this group 360000 this group $1.3 million. This group, um, 920000 This group, 275000 uh, Cove Strategies, $1.2 million. Empire Consulting Group, 450. But it totals $6.4 million that Walmart paid to registered lobbying agents in Washington, D.C. Uh, that's kind of the way the game is played. There is no law broken, no rule that prohibits that from happening. Um, in fact, they've disclosed all this on their financial reporting. $6.4 million total reported by filer to 10 companies. Um, and um, and these are the contract expenses that are incurred when, and I'm sure I didn't Google Amazon uh, during the last break, but I would imagine Amazon's probably spent a similar amount of money making sure um, that things are tended to the way they need <laughs> things being tended to. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. David in Florence. Good morning, David. Hey, good morning, guys. How are you? Hey, David. All right, so the, the, the statistic that you mentioned earlier with 30% of the employees for Walmart that's on some type of government assistance, it is, it's staggering. I agree. And thinking out the box the way you are, it's intriguing. But I want to take it a step further. What if, how do you implement what you're proposing and not, you know, cost the consumer? Because, you know, Walmart's not going to lose their bottom line. They're profit sharing. They're going to make sure that they're not – you know what I mean? Sure. So gonna, your hot your hot dogs are now now four dollars are going to be six dollars. How do you implement what we're, what you're proposing and not cost the consumer any more money? See, David, you, you you're asking the guy who has all the questions to provide answers, and that's not my job. <laughs> <laughs> my, my, my job. Thank you for the call. Appreciate it. My job is to raise awareness and create conversations of which there are very uh, controversial answers to. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm just saying, and this is more philosophical. 
And I think when you think about it, Josh and I had a debate, not a debate, a conversation an hour ago. This is an economic matter, but it does creep into morality. I mean, it really and truly does. Is it, I mean, the, 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 the rules allow Walmart to sell $600 billion worth of retail goods year after year after year. They allow Walmart to make X number of dollars in, in profit. They allow Walmart to work their employees or a certain percentage of their employees uh, so many hours a week. They don't qualify as a full-time employee. They're allowed to get some government benefit. That stops. I mean, to me, and, and I'm look, I'm not speaking for the guy that runs Walmart. But but and I understand. I mean, if you let me ask you this, Reb. Hmm. If you have a fiduciary responsibility to the shareholder and you have an ability, you're not breaking a law, you didn't make the law. Maybe you spent six point four million lobbying for the law, but some some Congress member had a right to say no, we can't do that. Um and, and it creates a dilemma. So so you're running Walmart. And the rules allow you to work people 30 hours a week. Their income allows them to go uh, benefit from Medicaid. I mean, is that, is that economic or is that moral? I mean, I'd argue it's both. I mean, I'd argue there is probably a, a little bit of sure, both. But, but I mean, if you're running Walmart, are you beholden to the taxpayer or the shareholders of Walmart? Shareholders of Walmart. Sure. I mean, that's, that, your, that's your, your job. Your job is to be as profitable as you can. In fact, law requires you to be responsibly profitable. And, and so, so we're going to do the right and ethical thing to go to Josh's point, and we're going to work everybody 40 hours a week. And they're not, nobody that works at Walmart is going to qualify for any government health care plan or, or government subsidized health care plan, which is pretty much all of them now, mm-hmm. um, except, you know, these group plans in the private sector. That, that's where we are. Now, now, once again, is it an issue of morality, ethics, uh, economy? It's, yes. It's an interesting, I mean, it's an issue of all of that. I mean, there's a moral component. There is an ethical component. Here's a better question. Let's put morality aside. Because business ethics, I mean, you hear very little about business morality. I mean, it's personal morality. Uh, Josh's morals, my morals, Rev's morals. I can't do that, man. Why? My morals just say I can't do that. Um, I do something and I regret. Why do I regret? There's something in me that, that there, there's some, I don't know, a, a morality accountability that we all answer to in, in the weirdest way imaginable. But business ethics is a different thing. Is it ethical for a business to make as much money as Walmart does and continue to send a bill to the taxpayer for 30% of its employees to get health care? I mean, that, to me, yeah, that's an ethical question. I certainly understand from an economic perspective why the CEO of Walmart says, do it. Of course. I mean, the business is more profitable. If Walmart doesn't have to pay for health insurance for 30% of its employees and can flip that, flip that bill to the taxpayer, I mean, the, 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 the CEO of Walmart isn't accountable to the taxpayer. I mean, he's accountable bottom line at Walmart. Now, now who is accountable to the taxpayer? Congress. And that goes back to my point, and this is a hypothetical question, but I'll pose it again. As, a, as an America firster, are we comfortable? Conservatism is not comfortable with this, but we've admitted that we're kind of, um, I mean, we're, 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 we're conservatives in, in transition. We're transitioning to America first, and we're trying to better understand this hippie moment in our party. 
And, and where does it lead from here? So I'll ask the question I just read during the break, a couple of breaks back. Should the government have a law that says once a company crosses a threshold of revenue, profitability, and market share, should they be excluded from participating in a government-funded health care program? That, that's an interesting dilemma. That, that, that's an interesting question. The CEO at Walmart can't decide that. I mean, maybe he does try to balance his ethic and moral and, and, and his uh, responsibility to Walmart. I mean, of course, I would imagine uh, we, we all do the best we know we how to so. do it. Sure. I mean, you know, I'm not saying he's unethical or immoral. I would never, ever say that. Um, but, but the only people that can force Walmart to change the way they're doing things and Amazon to change the way they're, they're doing things is Congress. So as an America firster, I mean, if J.D. Vance came on this show and said, that I believe, and I'm speaking as, as, as Senator Vance, and he's kind of one of the intellectuals of the America First movement. If J.D. Vance sat in that chair across from this table and said, here's what I believe. I believe once a retailer or once a business in general crosses the threshold of revenue, profitability, and market share, they should be required to do X, Y, or Z. Let's say they should be required to provide health care for all of their employees full and part-time. I mean, are we comfortable with that? That, that's my point. Or, or, or is that where we are as America Firsters? Conservatives aren't there. But we admit that, that, that America First is kind of the, it's, it's the sentiment of the party right now. So, so is, that, is that something we would be comfortable with? In other words, if, if Lindsey Graham said, hey, would you poll your audience? Well, J.D. Vance introduced this bill in the Senate, and I got to vote yay or nay. I'd like to know what my voters and your audience think about. What, what would we tell him? I don't know. But, but that's something that I think we're eventually, I mean, I, I do believe this. I think as we build America first, we're going to encounter moments like that and issues like that, that we have to kind of not defer to the traditional conservatism, you know, company line, so to speak, but rather, you know, is, is there a reason to change the way we perceive things to be or not. Let's go to the phone. Ed in the PD. Good morning, Ed. Morning, fellas. Well, you don't have to look much further to find out that the key is lobbyists. You watch TV. Have you seen a Medicare commercial lately from insurance companies? Have you seen a drug commercial? Those are some of the biggest lobbyists in Washington. My question is, why and how do they advertise so much? They got to be getting a return on it. You know, when you're in business and you're not going to make any effort for advertising without getting a return. So there's obviously a return because they advertise so much. Thank you, Ed. Appreciate it. Well, I, mean, I would argue mm-hmm. of the $600 billion in revenue that Walmart generated, the best money they spent was $6.4 million in Washington. I mean, I've got no idea where they buy their truck tires. I've got no idea who works on their equipment, fleet maintenance, um, O&M properties, uh, who resurfaces their, their parking lots, where do they get their shopping buggies from. I don't have any idea. I do know this. They're in the game, and they're spending $6.4 million with 10 consulting-slash-lobbying firms that are registered lobbyists. I mean, they're, they're not disguising themselves. I mean, this isn't dark money. I mean, this is Walmart writing a check to a consulting or, or lobbying company that is registered as a lobbyist. I've got no idea what they're asking for. I mean, what, what they're tending to, what sort of meetings they're involved in. 
but but I'll tell you this, having kind of operated in that sphere for a brief period of time, it's probably the best money they can spend. Now, a lot of these big companies like Walmart and Amazon, they'll spend money not to get things done in their advantage, but to make things aren't done to their disadvantage. I mean, in other words, just make sure they don't hurt me. You know, I don't, I don't need them to help me. Just make sure they don't do something uh, that, that could hurt me. And that's just it's the nature of, of where we are. Are we ready to change? That's my question. Let's go to the phone. David in PD. Good morning, David. Hey, man. I remember back in the day when Sam Walton, uh, 1992, he was honored with the Medal of Freedom. And back in the day, I guess Sam Walton, Walmart was made in America. Can you imagine that, Ken? You remember those days, right? That was one of their hallmarks. Was they were, Everything was made in America. They focused on smaller markets, and they had people there that actually would greet you. And I was like, wow, this is kind of a neat store. Uh, I grew up in small-town America. And what happens with that? Uh, all of a sudden, you know, they're from Arkansas. Somebody got elected from Arkansas back in the day. And you mix that in with the global shakedown artist, and all of a sudden that store is made in China, made in Vietnam, made in South Korea, and they got people there. They're not greeters anymore. They're they're exiters. They want to make sure you paid for Give them credit. They ain't going to have that smashing grab. They got somebody that will chase you down. Uh, but I'll give them credit in that if you go to Cancun, Mexico, guess what? You see Walmart. Uh, how do you say Walmart in Spanish, uh, Walmart? Uh, so with anybody that comes here from other countries, because uh, they are a global brand, and I, I, that's part of globalism. So somebody that uh, comes from uh, Mexico or China or wherever, they're not going to go to Ken's uh, Auto Parts or uh, Dave's uh, Bakery. They don't really understand that, but damn sure they know what Walmart means. So I'm going to give them credit. They have done an outstanding marketing job, but I would like to get some tax money who has profited off being the shakedown artist. And that's how our government now is shakedown artists. Y'all have a good day. Thank you, David. Appreciate it. So uh, Walmart, 6.4 million. Amazon's at about 21.38 million. But that's how much money Amazon spent on lobbying. So maybe they're the bigger boogeyman than, than Walmart is. The only reason that I'm talking about Walmart, everybody has seen or visited a Walmart. Amazon is, I mean, it's a Seattle-based company, and they've got distribution centers and warehouses and a phenomenal business. I mean, they, they probably rocked the world as much as anybody ever has. Talking about Trump being a disruptor. Wow. I mean, who's disrupted the economy more than Amazon um, has? Amazon spent about $21.38 um, million. Uh, excuse me. Uh, yeah, during the calendar, 2021. Um, they spent 19.32 in 2021, 21.38 in 2022. So they're going to spend somewhere in excess of $20 million lobbying the government. Um, what are they asking the government for? What is the government willing to give uh, to benefit Amazon? I mean, do you believe Amazon and Walmart are spending roughly $30 million a year to make sure the play field is level and to make sure everybody's getting their fair share <laughs> of the pie? No. I mean, it, it's once again, it's capitalist. I mean, it's not capitalism. It's capitalist. Uh, you know, a capi- capitalism isn't writing a check. A capitalist is writing a check. Uh, once again, 
capitalist and Vulcans, <laughs> not one <laughs> in the same. Uh, let's go to the phone. Bert in Florence. Good morning, Bert. Good morning. As usual, everything's going backwards. The problem is not Walmart doesn't pay their employees enough. The problem is the government's paying their employees so that they don't have to. If they would stop trying to make more regulations and step out of the business of helping people, then all this stuff would cure itself. I mean, you take away welfare, take it away. Guess what? They're not going to work for as cheap a price as they're working because they got to make a living. So they got to have a job that makes a living. Every time they hand out a welfare check, it's just Walmart corporate welfare is what it is. It's the same way with, you know, how did Tesla get so much money? The government handing them money because, oh, they're trying to guide the society toward the electric car. Uh, Amazon, you know, lobby the government and they get money. The, the government is the problem. It is flat the problem. They they call themselves helping people, and all they're doing is helping corporations and allowing people to be on welfare. Uh, the military, same way. You know, uh, a, a no-stripe shirt or a, a E1 or E2, you know, I was E3, and at E3, I still qualified for food stamps. There's the problem. Everything is depending on these handouts instead of getting out of that business and allowing the business to pay its employees a proper wage to begin with. Thank you, Bert. Appreciate that. Now we're getting to another, I mean, this will be a debate for tomorrow. Um, are people not being paid enough or has government distorted the price of goods because of printing money and creating inflation that, that see that there's another philosophical psychological abstract or in the abstract debate that nobody knows the answer to. Um, cause, cause I, I argue as a business owner, the wage is not the problem. What stuff cost is, you know, the, um, the government, I mean, Milton Freeman famously said, you know, nobody creates inflation, but the government and by the printing of money and the providing of, you know, the, um, I, I mean, I, I read a story the other day about Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and how much of a percentage of the mortgages they own and why that's, a little bit worrisome to the, um, but Bert's points are very simple, but they're accurate. But, but then the real world gets in the way. I mean, it, once, if, if we lived in a, I mean, it's, it's a little bit like the flight simulator. I mean, what, what Bert said is 100% accurate on 100% impossible to achieve. 100% accurate, 100% impossible to achieve. The real world gets in the way. And, and, and the real world brings about situations and circumstances that theories and hypotheticals just can't solve. And that's c- kind of the balance of, you know, um, I learned in politics, don't let the, you know, the, um, what, don't let the perfect get in the way of the good. And politics is the art of the possible, you know, and some things, I mean, we, we theorize and hypothe- hypothesize on things that are virtually impossible. It would be great. If government got out of the way, I mean, we would all be, I think, better off in the long run if government relegated itself to providing a national defense and fixing the potholes and, you know, cheerleading. The president gets behind a, a camera and cheerleads at a state of the union. But, but I mean, how many people really believe that that's achievable? I mean, it is in a flight simulator, but it's not in the real world. Take a break. Back in a few. Okay. I'm not, I'm not a chess player. I'm not smart enough to be a chess player, but I can at times 
Um, I, I can at times decipher the politics. I mean, I guess it's the BS meter. Um, anybody ever heard of Jay Carney? Remember the press secretary for Obama? Sure. Jay Carney. That's right. Amazon hired Jay Carney. They had no lobbying apparatus at all. They hired Jay Carney. Carney built a lobbying team. Um, They do a lot of this lobbying in-house. Somebody would ask, so so why would Amazon um, need that much lobbying? Here's what Amazon's after. And I've read about this, and I guess some of it is, is, um, uh, what am I trying to say? Some of it can be corroborated. I mean, if we were doing an investigation and Amazon's lobbying, the majority of their lobbying is these privacy laws. And in other words, um, Carney went to work in Washington and, and, and a lot of state governments about these privacy laws. Um, we joked around yesterday, talked about Mississippi State, South Carolina, Clemson, Florida State, and I said, my phone will offer me tickets from SeatGeek. Well, it did. I mean, my tickets, uh, something came on my phone from SeatGeek saying, you know, um, all the college football excitement you can imagine. And if you want to buy tickets, here's, you know, we're the best show in town. Well, Rev and I would argue that's a conversation we had with ourselves. We don't need, you know, um, SeatGeek listening in, but but it's Google. And, and Carney went to work for Amazon because he knew how that world worked. Um, he put together a uh, kind of a lobbying team. Once again, Walmart hired 10 companies. Amazon does the majority of it in-house. But, but they hired a former press secretary of a, uh, a Democrat president, and he went to work in Washington and at about 20 states trying to make more lax some of the privacy laws. So, I mean, Amazon is targeting you, right? I mean, they, they don't have brick and mortar. I mean, they got distribution centers and, and warehouses and, you know, the last mile delivery and the United States Postal Service. I mean, they have a lot of deals that, that are similar to business. But the majority of their business is internet-based. And the more they know about Dave Baker, Ken, and Josh, the more likely they can put a product we may be interested in in front of us. So Amazon, I mean, the, the, the majority of their lobbying efforts have been to argue that the privacy laws in place are too damn private. I mean, in essence, that's what they're arguing. You know, Dave Baker and Kennard's conversation shouldn't be between Dave Baker and Kennard. I mean, that iPhone <laughs> sitting on the desk should have a right to hear what they've got to say. Yeah. And, um, so we can target a little well, I mean, product. So, so, and then the next thing you know, you know, Amazon. Advertisement. Well, I mean, Rev and I talk about a deer stand. Uh, you know, we have a big partnership with Schofields. I mean, I'd encourage you, if you buy a deer stand, go to Schofields. But, but if Rev and I talk about, hey, are you going hunting tomorrow? No, I'm a stand, such and such. Well, I mean, you know, that, that should be private. We know it's not. Well, did that just happen? I mean, it did some goofball at Google say, wow, that'd be pretty cool to do that. Let's hear what these people are talking about. No, Jay Carney went to work at Amazon and built an enormous lobbying team. And they have challenged some of these privacy laws that they've gotten tweaks, not major overhauls, but little tweaks and turns. And, um, and the next thing you know, the iPhone is hearing the conversation and Rev goes online uh, when he gets off the air and Amazon is offering a uh, a fifty dollar discount on a deer stand. Mm-hmm. We've all seen it. Well, to be sure, we've seen it. So, so when you say, "Well, what?" I mean, it's privacy protections, is what it is. I mean, in essence, they're challenging a lot of the privacy laws. And uh, and why not hire a former communication director for a for a former 
uh, president. I mean, if Jay Carney knocks on your door, hey, Congressman, you got a minute? I mean, the majority will say yes. The, the, the Republicans may not, but all the Democrats would say, of course I do. I don't want to get on Obama's bad side. You know, yeah, I mean, you work for Obama. I don't want to get on his bad side. The next thing I know, I got a primary opponent. Hey, let me talk to you about these privacy protection laws. Did you know? Uh, <laughs> that's the way. Am, am I making sense here? Perfect sense. Yeah, and the next thing you know, Amazon's trying to sell Reva Deer stands. Mm-hmm. And SeatGeek's trying to sell Ken, you know, some football tickets. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of brilliant from that aspect. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's this, creepy. <laughs> but, but it's but, brilliant. But, but a lot of folks will say, why would Amazon spend $21 million? Do you have any idea how valuable your personal information is? I mean, do you think Google gives you all these services for free and do- doesn't get anything out of it? Google does nothing for free. Right. I'll- Amazon does nothing for free. Walmart does nothing for free. If Google, if, if, if Amazon spends $22 million a year lobbying the government, they want about $300 million in return. So somebody's put together a pro forma that that has convinced Bezos or whoever is running Amazon, a board and you got department heads and whatnot. But I mean, somebody at Amazon is is convinced that if we spend this twenty two million, there's going to be you know a billion dollars in return, and that's how the game is played. That's how it works. So the majority of Amazon has been this um these regulations and legislations, uh, the the Alexa power device. I mean, who owns that? Amazon. Mm. How many people believe Alexa listens to what you say? You know it. Of course. Same with the Google Assistant. But, but I mean, that was probably, that, there was probably uncertainty about whether they could do that or not. And then Carney gets hired. Carney hired. I mean, they've got a team of lawyers, and, and, and they start getting to work. And the next thing you know, there's an interpretation of the statute or an interpretation of the regulation or an interpretation of the law. And Alexa now has the right to listen to you. So Josh and his friend are talking about, you know, um, cars. And Josh says, I kind of like that Honda Accord. Well, the next thing you know, Josh goes online and the, the you know, a- Amazon is, I don't know. I'm just Amazon Motors is, is showing him, you know, um, 20 Honda Accords on sale, 100 miles from his. I mean, guys, that information is invaluable. I mean, $21 million, you ready? That ain't baby crap. Alongside the the, the 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 millions of nuggets of information they gather and the and the the purchasing habits of shoppers. So when you say you know, I mean, I can hear a lot of well, I Google, Amazon spending twenty million. I don't make sense. I mean, they're an internet based company. Yeah, you know, I why why would they spend? Well, there you go. And, and what is that? I mean, if if you're and all this is under the radar. I mean, Carney doesn't show up at the Lions Club or the Rotarian saying. You know, I'm working for Amazon, and what I'm trying to do is get, you know, different interpretations of some of these privacy protection laws and regulations that, that have been kind of entrenched in our in our world. So that's, I mean, that's chess. And these companies have the ability to play chess. Well, let's ask ourselves, if Amazon has $600 billion in revenue and they've got $22 million to spend on lobbying, is that fair to mom and pop? I mean, they've created a, an absolute advantage I mean, let's say Schofields has a deer stand. Amazon has a deer stand. Dave Baker's not loyal to one or the other. But he gets reminded by, by his visit to Facebook or Twitter or wherever that Amazon has this deal. Where is he? I mean, what, what is the success rate of Amazon winning that, that um, you know, that, that uh, battle for a purchase, I guess? That's kind of the way uh, the game is played. And that's chess. 
Uh, you know, m- most people have never run for office. They've never served in office. They've never encountered a lobbyist. They don't understand the knock on the door of a member of Congress or, or maybe a glass of $300 wine. Uh, and I did say glass. I didn't say bottle. The bottle would probably be two grand. The glass would be $300. I mean, that has a, a tendency to get your attention, right? Right? Let's go to the phone. Someone there? Yeah, Stacy in Florence. Good morning. Good morning. Okay. This is the way I see this this morning. I don't want to be part of the America First group because I don't, if, if it means me being Peter Pan, taking from the rich and giving to the poor, I'm sorry. The American people have let Walmart and let Amazon take over. They've let it happen. There's no question. I mean, if you go back, I'm going to use an example. Back years ago, business is out of business now, but I used to buy cars at Plowed Motor Company in Pamplico. I was sitting there one Saturday afternoon, man come walking in the door, raising cane about a Ford car that he had bought in Columbia and lived in Pamplico. And the man that was there to him said, man, listen, I didn't sell you the car. You decided you were going to go up there and you were going to pay $100 less and you were going to get this car and not buy it from me and you're going to come in here and give me the grip over it. Well, that's just a little example. You know, I'm I'm like a catfish trying to get a hook out my throat. And the hook in my throat is all the politics that's going on. I mean, I could get on the I could get on the pulpit and preach a sermon about this. You kinda you, you kinda did. <laughs> okay. Now the point is if you turn around and, and, and I'm trying to think of somebody that I can refer to that I'm not gonna call out by name. <laughs> Lavernard. If I stopped it, if if I went up there and I said, okay, I'm a, I got to stop and get gas in Florence. I'm not going to buy it at Hyman because it's one cent cheaper. Are the the is the America First group going back what they're saying? Are they going to say no, 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 no? We're go, we're going with mom and pops. If you turn around and you buy a, a deer stand off of Amazon and Schofields finds out about it, what's going to happen? They're going to say, wait a minute now, we, we, we're advertising, but you go on there. If you would have ever thought how bad Walmart has destroyed this country, it's big fish eat little fish. Walmart, uh, Walmart is being destroyed by Amazon because of the people that carries the cell phones, because of the group and the society it's being raised. The first cell phone I ever had come in a car that was bought from Blind Motor Company. Didn't even know how to work the thing. Now we can't survive without it. If you turn the phone off, if if America First would go against the Internet, period, they could slow down all this stuff. But that's not the main point right now. The main point that I see it needs to happen is, yeah, they spend $21 million, but how much does Ford spend? How much does General Motors spend? It goes right on and on and on. Everybody's trying to get something and grease somebody's palm to get it. You talk about COVID with the essential people, okay? Amazon can't come fix your air conditioning at home. Correct? You're right. Google, Google can tell you how to do it, but that don't mean you can do it. And I'm going to end it here. And, I, and you know, when I saw this sign, I thought this was very egotistical of the man to put it up in his doctor's office. 
I'm sitting in the doctor's office and the sign said, please do not confuse your Google search with my medical degree. Well, Google says, well, I, you know, I'm not going to pay $500 this set of tires for my car. Google says I can get them for $40 cheaper and I can go buy them at this tire store and my money's going to North Carolina. Instead of going to Joe Blow's tire shop and getting a set of tires and having you somebody that you can complain to that you bought it from. I'm sorry, but that's the way I feel. Well, and that, that, that's legitimate. I mean, you know, what if what if 40 million, well, what, how many people identify as America first? I mean, is it 60 million? I mean, I don't know what the number is, but what if 60 million or 70 million, let's say Trump voters, 75 million, what if 75 million voters in America today decided to not only talk to talk, but walk the walk? And, and began kind of recreating, maybe, okay, I mean, may, maybe that's where we head, a recreating of consumer loyalty. I'm going to trade. I mean, my father taught me to trade with people to trade with you. I mean, he did, and I've tried to do that to the best of my ability. At times, I'm as guilty as anybody. It's easy to sit on my duff and order something online. I mean, that's real easy, and I'm guilty. Guilty as charged. But, but I try to show favor to those who have showed favor to me in my community and where I live and my way of life and, and the things that I fundamentally uh, believe in. we got to take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. Calling all brides to the 6th Annual South Carolina Bridal Showcase. Sponsored by Community Broadcasters and Southern Celebrations at Collins Grove. Sunday, September 24th at the Florence Center in Florence, South Carolina. It's your one day to experience a one-stop A lot of redneck touch of intellect. How about that? A lot of redneck (laughs) touch of intellect. Let's go to the phone. Sam in Cross Hill. Good morning, Sam. You're on. Hey, good morning, guys. Uh, Boy, you really had a good uh, show and some good topics here that we're dealing with. And I hope maybe we can continue the discussion tomorrow because we're about to run out of time. But anyway, uh, I agree wholeheartedly with what Bert had to say in that last caller about Amazon trying to, uh, you know, basically be a a run run Walmart out of business, which is not going to happen, but they're challenging Walmart. But anyway, I think everything boils down to the word of responsibility. What responsibilities government at the federal and state levels have to their citizenry? What's the responsibility of an employer? What's the responsibility of an employee? And you're talking about health insurance. Well, how about the insurance companies? So I will I ask this question. What responsibility what is the social responsibility of a corporation? And going to the health care issue that you were talking about, Ken, uh, what is their responsibility for to provide health insurance or health care to their employees? Do you guys remember? I remember as a young fellow growing up, my mom and dad threw my, me and my brother in a car, and we headed to Florence, and we went to a place called Treasure City out there down from the airport on 501. And, man, if those guys had uh, uh, been Sam Walton, they might have gone on. We may be dealing with Treasure Cities as opposed to um, uh, Walmarts. So, um, you know, the 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 Schumpeter talked about the fact that uh, capitalism had was had creative destruction to it. It is destruction. What happened to Sky City, Kmart, Sears, and all those uh, kinds of entities? Um, so you know, someone can work at a Walmart, get 30 hours a day, uh, 30 hours a week, have government pay for their Medicaid insurance, um, get food stamps, and they're happy with that lifestyle. They have a responsibility to move if they're not happy with that. And Medicaid, as I understand it, the government has really made a whole lot of folks that really could 
handle things themselves eligible for Medicaid insurance. So government has distorted the marketplace and, and, uh, and, and we do not operate in a purely capitalistic uh, environment. So well said. Thank you, Sam. Appreciate that. 843-661-0937. Got a couple of minutes. Let's go to the phone. DW in Florence. Good morning. You're on. Hey, guys. Since you evoked the name a couple of times, I thought I'd throw something in on you. Go back to the redneck part. You know, it's the frustrating part being retail or, you know, brick and mortar store. Uh, when you have folks that come in the door and they, you know, we've got a great clientele, great customer base, wonderful people. But sometimes people come in and try you a little bit. They'll come in and try on four or five pair of boots. And then uh, you say, well, which one you want to pick out? You get the one you want no, I just want to try them all on so I can order them offline. And they, then they kind of look at you kind of funny and walk out the door, and you're thinking, really? And you're going to go spend $10 less somewhere else and get your boots in. They don't fit. you got to send them back. You can't come back in the store. You can't. You don't really know what the boots are. Uh, all you got is just a picture. And you go somewhere else to spend that money instead of support your local town uh, retail stores to help them out. You know, these big corporate places, like you said, $21 million is chump change to them. Uh, $150 pair of boots is a job for us. You know, we, it keeps us alive. So, you know, it's kind of disheartening sometimes when you listen to people talk about these big companies and paying 30 hours a week for them and then letting them go get free insurance. I don't get free insurance. You? Uh, so, you know, it's it's a uh, – it's. American firsters are, are tired of it, you know, tired of hearing about it, tired of being around it. You know, uh, we work hard. I still, I'm 68 years old. I'm still working 50 hours a week because I want to, not because I have to, but because I want to. And I, I enjoy my job because I enjoy my clientele. I enjoy my people. I enjoy my customers. I enjoy my employees. Uh, it's, it's kind of tough, old and tough sometimes when you hear this stuff over and over and over going, you know, why am I doing all this for? But thank God I don't care about that. I do what I do because I love this town and the people around the PD, and it's a real pleasure to be here. And, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of disheartening sometimes. You know, we just keep on buckling up and keep on going. So you guys have a great day. Go Tigers. Go Gamecocks. I kind of hard to say that. And uh, you guys have a great day. <laughs> Thank you, D.W. Appreciate <laughs> it. it. Do we record well, that? I mean, and, and I do think this is a conversation we can continue tomorrow. I mean, it's obvious people are interested in this. And I don't think we, we've had anybody say, well, I know exactly what to do. I mean, there's a lot of different opinions. There are a lot of different perspectives. I mean, I guess I'm somewhat uh, jaded by experience in politics and and the fact that, I mean, you know, the the purist doesn't last long in politics. They just don't. I mean, you know, the theoretical hypothetical answers are just that. I mean, they're theoretical hypothetical answers. But, but you know, is it, 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 it the, the central argument we're making is the common good or not? And and when does the economy bleed over into ethics and morality and, and responsibility we have to our hometown and the people that we care about? You know, it's, it's not kind of an, I guess it is to some degree. Uh, enjoy your day. We'll continue tomorrow.